what even is life? That's what I've been asking myself. Now that we've hit the 50th episode of this podcast, my dream is to make it to 100. But um, quite a lot of things that this podcast has done are things I hadn't even dreamed of in the first place. So it's it's been a pretty surreal ride. So for this episode, me and some some guests, some former uh, returning guests, and one just one person who's just a fan of the show, uh, got together for a wee party. This is a party episode, so we're not doing any books or novels or stories or poems. It's just a chat. It's me and some friends of the pod, so to speak, hanging out. So hopefully you'll enjoy listening to our chat. Before we get to that chat, that little party, um, we're going to do the true fig news, the translated Chinese fiction news. So just three things from uh, publishing and the web that I think would be of interest for you guys, the listeners. So the first one is from Spatoon, the Spatoon Collective. So this is, um, to be crass, it's a bunch of foreigners and some Chinese people in Beijing and some other Chinese cities. They do events, they do a literary magazine and monthly sort of, I don't know, magazine type web posts. They've got a yeah pretty impressive setup going on. And the thing Spatoon have done that I'm including in this episode's news is a little series of uh, interviews, text, like, in, yeah, interviews you can read called Beijing Lights, where um, they've interviewed pretty much just working class Beijing people on the streets. And all these interviews are available bilingually. Sorry, not all of them, but many of them are bilingual. So looking through, I can see most on the front page are available in English and Chinese. Some of them are only available in English, but yeah, most of them are bilingual. Just scrolling back a bit further to see. Yeah, I'm seeing also one that's only in Chinese, but for the most part, it's bilingual English and Chinese interviews with just the Xing, the ordinary people of Beijing. So pretty cool thing to be doing. Um, the next thing, it's an article on a guy who is, I think it's safe to say, not an ordinary person. It's Chen Fan, a former guest on the show, sci-fi writer, author of the novel Wastide, which you can get in translation. This uh, article is kind of a, like a profile of him, and it's a very recent one, so you can see what he's been getting up to lately that I've never talked about on the show before. That namely seems to be an interest in the uh, religions and spirituality I don't know if I can say native to China. This article talks about how he's, um, <clears throat> well, one of the things it mentions is that he's interviewing slash spending time with a Mongolian shaman, I think it is, certainly a shaman from somewhere in the, the far north or beyond China's borders or around China's borders. But there's all sorts of other stuff too. If you want a general and very up-to-date window into what's going on in Stanley Chan, Stan, Chen Fan's world, this is a really interesting read. It also gives you a general, there is a little bit of a general look of where Chinese sci-fi is sitting um, just in, in general as well. So like there's quotes from people like another former show guest, Emily Jin. I think I've gushed about this article enough. So let's go on to the next news item. Now this is a book that is now available for pre-order. It's um. It's yet more Chinese poetry translated into Scots. If you remember, um, I covered a book like this on the show before. We had Brian Holton on talking about uh, Ston and Malin, his translation of, I believe it's very, yeah, various uh, classic Chinese poems. And we did a, a, like a dual uh, bilingual, by which I mean English and Scots, uh, reading of a Li Bai poem. But anyway, this is not a Brian Holton translation. So this is a collection. 
It's a uh, it's a the original Chinese poet is G.D. Majia, and the uh, title of this translation is Mother Tongue. So like mother tongue, Scots for mother tongue. And the translators are Stuart Patterson, Sheena Blackhall, Christine DeLuca, and Dennis Mayer. I don't think I've heard of any of them before. The publisher is a Scottish publisher. It's uh, Vagabond Voices, who are based in Glasgow. I've met their boss, I believe, um, one time near the end of my publishing master's course. And I think at that time they didn't have anything from China because they do have a little bit of a speciality in literature and translation, among a few other things. But that's one of their specialisms as an indie publisher. So I'll just read the little um, blurb or bio or what have you for this book just to give you an idea of what's going on here. This collection of G.D. Magia's poetry in Chinese has been translated into the three strands of the Scots language. Lalans by Stuart Patterson, Doric by Sheena Blackhall, and Shetlandic by Christine DeLuca. Now, I'll jump in here. Um, Doric is, that's the Aberdonian dialect of Scots, so from like the northeast, but not necessarily the highlands, more like northeast coast. Shetlandic, well, that's the Shetland Isles, so they're uh, Scottish territory very far north, even further north than Orkney. Lalands, that's not a word I've heard before, actually. I'm guessing it might mean lowlands, but um, yeah. <laughs> You can check that yourselves if you like. Um, continuing with the blurb, these translations are on the opposite page to an English translation by the eminent translator from Chinese, Dennis Mayer, who has also written an afterword in the context of G.D. Magia's heritage and poetry. So yeah, I think they've made the right choice there as a publisher because um, Stone and Malayne has the same. It has, um, I believe, on each two-page spread, it has the original Chinese, the Scots, and um, the English. I believe the English in Stony Malin wasn't written to be too, I don't know, fancy. The English was supposed to be fairly sort of plain to just show you what the Scots means if you can't work it out yourself or if you've not got the uh, Scots level to work it out. Because I'm Scottish, but um, and I would say I kind of speak Scots, but there's plenty of vocabulary that I didn't grow up with or it's just not uh, existent in, in modern use. So Having the English was handy for me too, I have to admit. Um, if you want to get an idea of how not uh, a really strong Scots speaker I am, you can listen to the episode on um, Brian Holton's The Moss the Moss Flow, which you can tell I didn't, I'm not really a master because I was calling it The Moss Flow, but you should say flow, Scots, not flow. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I'm going to keep going with the barb. Aimed at two linguistic communities and coming from a linguistic community at the other side of the planet, this collection presents a perfect symmetry in a globalised world where we need a dialogue not only between the powerful but also, and perhaps even more rewardingly, between the local and marginalised. The infinite is often to be encountered in the circumscribed. Ooh, that's a very nice last sentence. Um, It is an interesting thing um, pairing Scots or connecting Scots and Scotland with Chinese and China. Um, I've heard people say that like um, often it works weirdly nicely. There's a sort of poetry to both. I mean, I would believe it. I would also be skeptical of um, romantic like romantic ideas or fuzzy ideas like that. Um, scale, this scale is a weird thing because I guess on one hand, the local parts of China um, with their own local dialects, like smaller provinces or individual provinces, especially ones on the margins, might be comparable to Scotland in some ways, and certainly places like um, Hong Kong or... Now, I'm, I'm not 
trying to be overly literal here and certainly not over dramatic. And this is certainly a, a ropey analogy, but maybe you could say Xinjiang or Tibet or Outer Mongolia or something as well. You could tr- maybe draw some kind of parallel there. I don't know, um, but I'm equally skeptical of all those approaches as well. In any case, it's an interesting thing that there's so much Chinese going into Scots. Um, I wonder if there is a reason why you see this so often. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm not seeing the forest for the trees here. Maybe um, there are equivalents for like Catalan or um, other sorts of dialects within larger nations. I don't know. If anyone uh, listening would like to school me on this. I'd love it if you did. And I, certainly, if we got Brian Holton on, I might quiz him about this as well, because I'm genuinely curious. Anyway, that that turned from a, a news item into a bit of a, a ramble. Not a, not a rant, certainly, a, a ramble. But so let's, let's, let's march on, because this is supposed to be a party episode. So let's not get too serious, and let's begin the chat I had with my, my pals. Hello listeners, um, we're, we're doing something a little bit different this episode. We're having a party and that's because we've hit the 50th episode. It took me a couple of years, but we got there. So um, we're not doing anything, any books or stories for this episode. I've just got on some fr- friends of the show, whether they're listeners or former guests or whatever, and we're just going to chat. Um, and people probably will be dropping in across the episode. So right now it's myself. And we've got Tianqi from the Tales from a Chinese Studio podcast, who was with us. Yeah, hello, hello, Tianqi. Um, she was with us two episodes ago for the Classics Mega Crossover. And also from that episode, we've got uh, Yang from the Chinese Mythology podcast. Hello, Yang. And we have Hi. Scarlett. Uh, Hi. Listeners is here as well. So, hey, guys, how are you all doing? All right. Good. Well, thank you for all for coming along. Um, I've got one conversation starter, um, which is basically just me fishing for compliments. But I am really curious. Um, what have you, your guys' favorite episode of this podcast been of all time so far? I've, I mean, Yang, I don't know if you, you've listened to much of them uh, before. So maybe you can skip this one if yeah. you like. But yeah. <laughs> I definitely listened to both of the, uh, the manga crossover ones. And I really like oh, I yeah. mean, yeah, I actually really like the modern one. And um, I um yeah because um, i think you guys really talk like really deep into some of the works like the social impact of the works in china and yeah and um i was uh, it was funny to listen you guys talk about jinyo and gulong's works and how you compare them with um marvel fans and uh, dc fans <laughs> Oh yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I was glad that we could cover some wuxia and the big crossover. Yeah. Although it's, I just I thought it was interesting that because that is actually modern literature, that had to sit alongside like sci-fi and modernism and all these other yeah. things. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I saw you guys talk in your podcast. I saw there's an episode you talk about Jin Yong's work, right? I didn't listen to that one. Yeah, that one has Gigi, uh, Gigi Chang, yeah, who the is translator. Yeah. yeah, she's also on Yifan's podcast. She's a regular. I guess she's also a host. Uh, I, I I got her on, and that one is about uh, Legend of the Condor Heroes. Mm-hmm. And there's one on Gulong too. That actually has someone who might be showing up for this party, uh, Jeremy Bai, Deathblade. Mm-hmm. Um, he did he translated one of Gulong's novels. 
and just put it on uh onto the internet onto wushaworld.com yeah uh, but that's all that is pretty much all the wuxia we've done mm. it's not really my favorite to be honest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it too hard in like translation wise uh, well, I'm, I'm reading the English translations anyway, but no, it, the, the English in those tends to be pretty simple, I've, mm -hmm. what I've seen. Although the Jin Yong ones, it's like the it's like nothing I would usually read because it's incredibly almost over-detailed descriptions of the fights. Mm. Like, I don't know, five seconds of action will get a page of description. So, I don't know, it's, it's interesting, but it's not... It's probably not my cup of tea. So what's your, who's your favorite Chinese author, like more than Chinese author? Uh, it probably would be a modern one. Uh, I don't know. I think that guy, Han Song, who I chose for the Han mega Han. crossover, you can't, none of his novels exist in English translation, but mm. um, <laughs> if I was the boss of a publishing company, I would be working really hard to get his novels into English. Because I think he's really interesting. I don't know if he's my favorite, but from like a reading plus publishing point of view, he's really interesting. But yeah, I don't know. That's the where that's me you, pretending I know the answer. Where do you uh, where did you first like start uh, digging these like authors up? Like Hansel is not that, definitely not like you know what would come into your mind when you when you read those anthologies of like modern Chinese literature mentions? Mm, well, the, the guy that dug him up, so to speak, I guess, is Ken Liu, because Ken Liu's <clears throat> got these two anthologies of Chinese sci-fi, uh, mm. Invisible Planets and Broken Stars, and Han Song's in both of them. Mm. And I, I, I'm pretty sure, I think I said this on the mega crossover, I'm pretty sure there's one Han Song story in uh, the first book and two in the second, but I, I could be wrong about that. Um, and that's how I found him. And there, the, there's also one story of his you can read in the other Chinese sci-fi anthology, um, Reincarnated Giant, which I'm, listeners won't see, but it's over in the room I'm sitting on. I've got that book on my shelf. Uh, and that's got two Han Song stories, um, one about Reincarnated Bricks, which is kind of about this, well, it's the the thing it's kind of say talking about indirectly is the Sutron earthquake, and there's another one, which is a very typical Han Song story about a plane flying in the sky, but the plane is always in the sky, and it's where like a mini human society lives, mm -hmm. but like that Korean film Snowpiercer, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's Chinese and not Korean. Bless you. Uh, but yeah. Um, I guess there's probably more Han Song on Clark's World, the uh, magazine that has a lot of Chinese sci-fi, but mm -hmm. I've not been so hardcore enough as like to go looking for that just yet. Mm, that's so cool. Han Song yeah. is uh, called uh, the Chinese sci-fi Tianwang, one of the four, <laughs> like, four major sci-fi people now in China. Yeah, it's, it's him, Liu Cixin... Wang Jing Kang, and then I always forget the fourth guy. Is that the four? Hmm. I don't know. I I just thought it's kind of cool that he's so young. He is like all these all these modern authors like in our 
our time generation are, are very young still. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at who are the four. It's Liu Cixin, He Xi, Wang Jingkang, and Han Song. Right, He Xi. I don't think I. I there's no He Xi in Ken's Ken Liu's anthologies. Mm-hmm. There is um Amazon. Uh, sorry, go on. <laughs> sorry, it says that uh, Ken uh, Liu Cixin says that he writes. 2D sci-fi, but Hanson writes 3D sci-fi. <laughs> That's a compliment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see what he means because the session stuff doesn't really go into like psychology or stuff. It yeah, all this everything's pretty direct, whereas the Hansong stuff is like weird and surreal and mind. Might not maybe not mind bending, but yeah, there's like a darker dimension that's not in or a political dimension as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think I said this on the show before, but when I started it, I didn't want to go straight to the really obvious stuff that shows up on a Google search or an Amazon search. Um, so that one of the places that took me was sci-fi. Um, there's other there's like i think i mentioned on one of the mega crossovers another thing that i wanted to start with was uh pizza when like wang shua and other stuff like that oh joined sweet hello hi there can you hear me uh-huh so um listeners uh jeremy by death plates just joined us so we're now there's now five of us good to see you yeah, you're, you're coming through okay. Welcome to okay, the party. Okay, great. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Don't let me interrupt. Carry on no, with what um, you were saying. I was just fishing for compliments, and I was getting <laughs> asked. Um, I'd asked everyone uh, if, if, well, if they'd listened to any of this podcast, if they had a favorite episode. But, of course, now you're here, you're here everyone's going to say uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> The uh, Gulong one, of course, that was the best one so far. Well, that was a fun podcast, I have to admit. Yeah, it was. It was interesting for me because, um, like, I think I I was just saying saying earlier, Wuxia is not really my first port of call for looking for stuff to read from Chinese, and the Wuxia, like as a generic Westerner, maybe that I'm familiar with, is the, like the Crouching Tiger hidden dragon stuff which is very sort of Jin Yong style so it was interesting to learn about Gulong's totally different or very different style but I've still not read all of Seven Killers I've just, just read those first few chapters well, you gotta get to the end because it's got an amazing it's got not just one twist it's got like multiple twists um, although I do have to you know admit that it's not as though Wuxia is just Jin Yong and Gulong there's like so mm. many other authors and I, I'm not familiar with much outside of those two i've dabbled a bit but there's plenty of others with their own styles and you know just it's it's a it's a field that's i think sadly not very well represented in the english-speaking world outside of Yong and gulong mm. i remember early on in this show i can't remember if it was off just in a, a chat off the show or if it was when i was recording but I remember Dylan Dylan Levi King, who might be coming along today, said to me, "Genre fiction's a monster." Because um, although he doesn't read any 
uh, genre fiction at all in English or Chinese. He said it's like undeniable that the stuff, although it doesn't always get respect or pushed to the forefront, like I don't know, someone like Moyen, it has a huge number of fans and readers, and I've seen that on the podcast. If I look at what gets clicks and plays and downloads, um, the Wuxia stuff does just as well or better than like the the in quotes the great writers, and the people who seem to enjoy it are a whole. They they seem to be totally separate from the people who want to hear about all the other literature. There doesn't seem to be a lot of. There's a few people who I can think of who are in both camps, but they're a tiny number. What I think is funny is that, or not necessarily funny, but kind of maybe a little bit ironic is that <clears throat> the uh, serialized web fiction translation scene is also very very distinctly separated from the literary translation scene. Yeah. I don't see almost any crossover and. I get the feeling that there's a lot of, um, I don't know, just they're very different. But the funny thing is that Zinyon was basically like the original serialized <laughs> web, not web, but he's like the original popular serialized fiction author. I mean, granted, he wasn't pumping out three chapters a day um, like the web literature authors in China do nowadays, but similar kind of thing. So I think it's kind of funny that um, he is looked up to so much as being a, like a, a on the literature side, um, when I would think I think you could probably argue that he's just as like pop uh, culture as the modern day web literature authors are. Yeah, I guess once someone's been sort of, I don't know, when they're still young and writing stuff that's still blowing up, you don't know whether they're going to end up in the canon, like in the holy trinity. Or not, I guess you could maybe say the same about like politicians. You don't know when they're riding high, they might be trying to build their legacy, but they might not actually get it until after they're retired or after they're dead. Like everyone in the UK hates Tony Blair now, but maybe in 20 years he'll be the hero again. <coughs> don't know, but yeah, I, I, I've, I don't know, I got a question for all of you in general like because oh, i haven't uh, i haven't complimented you yet <laughs> yeah <I'll have> <laughs> <either. Don't. laughs> we have not uh, my turn now <laughs> I, like, I like the first episode i mean the first episode is the first one i, I listened to obviously mm. but it, you open up with lu xun which is i thought oh whoa it's a it's a big topic to to open up but i i thought it's quite cool because when we think of like a literary giant i think unanimously we we think of Xun. and and i i also like the mega path uh pass i mean mega crossover that we did for i haven't listened to the modern one i'm guilty but i i really like the salinger uh story so I, I whenever i walk I, I still live in Columbia area. And whenever I'm around Columbia or I'm like on campus, I feel like there's like a kind of a Salinger feel of it. Because he, he was at Columbia, I think, right? Mm. He was a Columbia grad. What, um, what does a Salinger feel feel like? Just, mm, just that there is an air of uh, literary feeling I, I 
subscribe. Yeah. But uh, Colombia is usually in the city, very noisy. Everybody's kind of, uh, uh, you know, thinking of a finance consulting kind of thing. It, the, Colombia gets a bad like rep sometimes. Reputation being like, oh, not everyone's like really into studying or academic or something. People are thinking of money because you're in the, you know, you're in Manhattan. So, um, mm. but the Salinger, you know, was uh, was was there to to produce, and he was, you know, the leading figure at um, around his time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeremy, he was, yeah, he was a, a part of the general studies, the undergrad um, program, where he took a class with uh, Whit Burnett. It's a yeah, it was back in their time. So yeah, and then he, he wrote a lot of short stories that started his his writing journey. If anybody's wondering why we're talking about J.D. Salinger uh, in the last episode of the podcast, one of the stories we did was by Han Song, and it's set in a world where. Uh, North Korea has taken over the United States and the world and they've tried to, to take on uh, J.D. Salinger as like their hero of like their anti-capitalist literature hero even though that doesn't really have anything to do with his actual work but yeah that's that's why we're going on about Salinger um, but yeah it, it, I, I, I'm i trying to remember why exactly I did Lushun for the first episode I think the big reason was it was like one thing I'd read translated from Chinese there was that <laughs> And the three body problem, and I thought, right, I need to be good at this stuff before I do three body. So ironically, I was probably treating that with more reverence than Lushun, which seems weird. But I think also the Lushun story, it's an easy one to start with because there's lots of uh, interpretations of it that I could look up and read, and and it's fairly easy one to talk about because it's got quite obvious themes and it's nice and short. And it's got link, like it's available online in English, so listeners could go find it. Um, and yeah, the fact that he's the founder or the daddy of modern Chinese lit. So it's just a, and that story is the famous one, that one and uh, AQ. So it seemed like a good place to start. But like that, this, the way I did that episode, like very casual, almost like mumbly, I kind of wish I could bring that back. It's basically gone because everything's like a, like a Joe Rogan interview now, but. I don't think I could go back to it. I don't think I could recapture being such an amateur. <laughs> well, that's precious, so don't mm. do it. Yeah, yeah, it would be very sad. It'd be like going back to the street you used to live on and pretending you lived there. I quite, I really like the early episodes too. I remember, it's, it's because, like, when I listen to them, for instance, the Wang Shuo one, was it reminds me back to my teenage time while I was reading those books. And when I was in uni in Sheffield, I found some Wang Shuo books in the library and hmm. I, I reread them. And like, yeah, really brought me back memories. And also that uh, leave, me, leave Me Alone, Chengdu. Mm. It was like quite a popular book when we were in middle school and like it wasn't because it, it was a web novel and it was just like a you know like teenage children reading because there were a lot of sex things and stuff that's <laughs> why we, we like reading it 
yeah um i think many of them they just reminded me of like my teenage time when i was reading them and also the summer one i remember so that time you started that instagram group oh <laughs> yeah yeah i i had to admit that i didn't i still haven't read you wrote that bixian story because i'm really <laughs> scared about this <laughs> oh yeah um so to explain this one um after we covered um sama on the show her uh, the new translation of her stories of the sahara um scarlet message saying in in that little group chat we made for some about talking about sama she said i used to play a game called pen fairy uh bixian with my friends mm-hmm. where we would yeah. talk to was it her I forgot the name of her dead husband. Um, uh, Jose. 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 And I was like, oh, what is this? Um, so I looked up the, the game and there's not a lot about it in English. Um, there is a Wikipedia page. There's a really interesting short film on YouTube. A like I think he's a Chinese Canadian or something made about where they actually play the game, but it's not really about the supernatural stuff. It's about the like tensions between the friends. And I ended up writing a story um, where uh, uh, a troubled uh, young person plays is introduced to the game by a Chinese friend. They play it and. It's like a horror story. It's not that scary, Scarlet. No. It's, it, it it might make you cry, but that's because it's emotional, not because it's scary. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll I give think, you my yeah. feedback okay. when I read it. Yeah, I think scariness is a bit like spice, though. It's kind of relative to your tolerance level. Mine is very, very low. Oh, you I, might I find think, it scary. I think it's because, like, like... In our Chinese education, we're really scared of those ghost things. I talk to to my British friends, and they don't have that thing. I don't know what you guys think about. Oh, look at that! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. Oh, Sorry, weird. I didn't realize yeah. I was doing that. My bad. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> this is part of the Bixian story. Yeah. Oh, no. We've been taken to the other oh, the no. other world. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if... I, I did notice when I was living in China, um, no horror movies were coming out in the cinema. Um, not really, I guess it's not really a thing. Um, it's been... I mean, it's censored. Yeah. But I remember that Dylan told you that he said his girlfriend is scared of the shrines at night or something. Yeah. He lives in Japan. I'm guessing, although he didn't say his girlfriend's Japanese, but yeah, I, I guess like in Britain, there are maybe some superstitious people, and you could probably scare someone by taking them to a dark room or a dark tunnel and telling them it's haunted. But yeah, maybe it doesn't run quite as deep. I don't know. <laughs> it's I mean, funny. my wife's not particularly like really superstitious, but I remember early on in our relationship i think i was visiting her hometown i can't remember and we were like walking past the building or something and um there was all these right yeah yeah she's she's chinese um and there was all the like paper funeral decorations somebody i guess had died in the building 
and I was just doing my typical American, like talking loud kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not very American, by the way, in terms of talking loud. Like <laughs> in China, I hated being around them because it was like they were just like ah, like all the time. Anyway, point is that she was she shushed me and she was like, "Hey, this is a you know, this is a funeral area. You can't don't draw the attention of like the spirits, like that kind of thing." And I think in the years since then, she's kind of uh drifted away from that but early on she was totally into that like she recounted a story to me once about how her brother got possessed um by doing something like that by walking properly around funeral items or something so yeah yeah in my undergrad there was like a small uh tomb uh in the cemetery area because i i went to a liberal arts college in a rural rural Ohio and uh every time one of my friend breaks up with his girlfriend or his boyfriend I take them to the cemetery and I I I tell them you know look at all these people who live so short of a life <laughs> you you should seize your days and not be too like drawn into your your miserable love life like <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. Now that I guess that makes you a, either a really good friend or a really bad friend. Yeah, no. There's not, there's not much like places to go, I guess, in my undergrad. And also there's <laughs> a tradition that there's always kind of a, a area of cemetery. Well, I feel uh, like cemetery in the U.S. and in China are so different because yeah. cemetery in the West is it's actually like they usually pick the good location. People like actually leave near the cemetery but in yeah. china you go to cemetery it's like in the ur- like suburb or yeah. nobody goes there i actually live near uh well where i'm living right now it's well it's in the suburbs but i guess suburbs in the uk tend to be where you want to live um this suburb's pretty nice mm-hmm. and yeah there's an old cemetery right nearby and it's you know you can you can use it as like a shortcut or just as a nice place yeah. to walk not that many people do but it wouldn't be considered too strange to do that. But yeah. The thing that I do find strange is there's like a house right by the gate. I don't know if it's where like the caretaker of the cemetery lives, but it's like you'd be, if you lived in that house, you'd be living in the graveyard pretty much. Very weird. Uh, In the the past in ancient China, there is always a kind of tradition that when your husband dies, the wife must um, be like serving the kind of the sentence you call like um, be always like near the tombstone of the husband every day, sleeping them. Yeah, in in general <laughs> for years. Yeah, at home. That's so the children too. I have a. A ghost story, the time I saw a ghost, if anyone wants to hear it. (laughs) There's a a catch, though. It happened so young, I don't actually remember it. So I'm trusting my mother's uh, version of the story. So when I was um, like zero or one years old, my parents were moving house. And they're moving from like a very normal suburban house to quite a large one that was built in the 1920s. And they were buying it from, well, it was an old man who owned it, but he was very ill. So they basically, they handled the purchase talking to his um, children, a brother and sister. 
And while they were buying the house or as they were moving in, the old man, the owner passed away. Uh, so fast forward like a couple of years and my, my mom and her friend, she had her friend over. They were in the like uh, kitchen and dining room area and that friend had a daughter called Molly. And me and Molly were exactly the same age, so like two or something, or maybe three. And uh, we were in the hallway, which has the staircase that, um, yeah, it's where the staircase is, and it goes up, and it's a very big hall. And they heard me not sounding frightened or even excited, just sort of curious. They heard me say, um, Mommy, who's who's the old man on the stairs? <laughs> and they came through, and there was nothing. Or it might have just—it might have just been man, not old man. But my mum was convinced that was the former owner checking up on the house before he left forever. Mm. I heard a lot of the story like that. Kids can see things that grown-ups can't. Yeah. I kind of believe it on some level. I don't know yeah. how much I believe it, but it doesn't seem too crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I never experienced any cool, creepy stuff in China in all of my years. The, the, the creepiest thing I ever experienced in China was when uh, my wife and I, except we weren't married at the time, moved to uh, the city where we ended up you know, getting married there and staying there for many years. And the, uh, I was working at a school. And this, I w- the city I lived in, called Shirejuang, is a pretty small well, in China, it's small. It's it's a tier two city, and it's the capital of the province. And I think its population is larger than like most cities in the United States. But it's only I think the fourteenth largest city in China, and it's not. It's only been getting government money for like top development in the past few years. So at the time, it was pretty. I don't want to say backwater city, but it's not like Beijing or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm pretty sure there were only. A few we we never you know knew for sure, but our our guess was maybe a few thousand foreigners at most in the city of like three million people in the urban center. So the point is just the foreigners were few and far between. We would kind of stick together. So when I got there, the head teacher of the school um, was like my new friend by default because there weren't yeah. really very many other people to hang out with. And he, I don't want to say he forced, but he was really into supernatural horror movies. So he made me and my girlfriend and at the time and his girlfriend all sit down together in the dark to like watch supernatural horror movies, <laughs> like, like the possession and like the hidden camera ones. And all of us hated it, but he was like demanded and he was my boss. So I like felt bad. I, I, I didn't want to defy him. And so he made us watch all these supernatural horror movies. Like we all had nightmares and stuff. It doesn't matter. I didn't experience any cool like Chinese related, um, you know, creepy stuff in China. That's actually weirdly parallel to my own scariest experience in China. Um, well, it's not that parallel, but it's also just watching a, a, a movie and not even a Chinese movie. It was my, my first year. I was in a small, tiny little town. Uh, didn't have many social activities or things to do. So one time I downloaded um, Jeepers Creepers, which is a very messed up film. It's more messed up than I expected. Um, <laughs> but I went in with a little bit of foreboding the for, sense of foreboding got worse and worse, which is weird because I'm okay with horror films. And what did I do? I watched it, stayed up quite late, went to sleep. And I think it was summer and I had too many blankets on the bed. So I overheated 
and I think I'd eaten not long before I went to sleep, which is like ideal conditions to have crazy dreams. And I won't bother describing it, but the dream was so intense and scary. I did the thing you see people do on TV. I like, and I've never done it any other time in my life. I sprang up and went ah and screamed when I like at five a.m. or something. Three a.m. <laughs> Terrifying. When I was young, I used to have um, night terrors. So I don't know if you know what those are. They're basically kind of like lucid wake, like lucid dreams, or maybe like you're having a nightmare, but you're awake at the same time. And so I would do things like kind of similar to your story, sort of. I, there's a story that my mom would tell me where I was when I was probably like two years old or something. I would wake up in the middle of the night, like sweaty and like have this nightmare. And then I would look over her shoulder and like yell, the horsey, ah! Or something like that like weird yeah. things like that and it persisted even into my teen years like i would when I, if i got sick i would get a fever and then i would have these things where i would wake up but i would be dreaming and like interacting with people that are awake but at the same time in a dream world it's really weird kind of hasn't happened in my adult life but yeah super creepy mm. <laughs> can you remember it clearly or is it like hard to grasp like dreams um, after they've happened at this point it's been many years so most of those memories have faded but i do remember generally speaking after waking up the, the next day i would remember them like i a frequent theme would if these dreams i would wake up and i would um in my dream be holding a nuclear device that would destroy <laughs> the world and if i like moved it wrong or let go of it then everyone would die and so i would be walking around like pacing you know the house like you know oh my god and then eventually my parents would wake up uh, but sometimes they didn't and i would just be like walking around the house like wide-eyed and stuff <laughs> i don't know what that what that implies about my psyche but that was <laughs> that was what i would dream about it sounds like an anxiety yeah. <laughs> mm. um yeah I, I don't think i'm gonna fish for any more compliments i'm gonna check what my next conversation starter is um oh yeah so i've asked you guys what your favorite episode was how about a favorite episode guest like for anyone i mean i, I guess a few of you maybe haven't listened to the whole back catalog but and we have a former guest well actually three former guests here so you can all <laughs> just vote for yourselves if you want i well i guess i never did answer the other okay. and so I'll, I'll get them both at the same time because i um to be perfectly frank, I haven't listened to your whole back catalog. I don't think I've listened to like the back catalog of any podcast no. um, ever since I like my life for the past five or more years has been kind of crazy with one kid and now two kids and then moving from China. And I whether it's TV shows, books, podcasts or whatever, I am so far behind on everything. But mm. I uh, of those that I did sample or listen to, I've would say probably the Jin Yong one was my favorite. Like maybe that's kind of a cliche answer at this point, but it is interesting to get the perspective of somebody uh, digging into the Wuxia stuff that uh, is, I would say coming at it sort of from the opposite angle as me, me being just a guy that literally taught myself Chinese and fan translated his way into eventually doing it for a living. Uh, so yeah, that was probably my, my favorite episode. Yeah, the the Wuxia season, like, when I went into that, I knew I was basically going to be asking the guests, like, I, well, I'd preface every question with, like, or every interview with, 
I'm so clueless. Um, just, just, <laughs> just tell me what you know. Um, whereas, like the season I did before that was the sci-fi season, and that I actually know. About <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun one for me too. And yeah, the contrast of yourself and Gigi, um, I think was a fairly good, fairly good contrast. And then, who else did we have? We had um, Yilin Wang and uh, Etvo Etvo Um So again, I guess, yeah, all four of you were slightly different coming at things from slightly different angles so it's really interesting yeah thanks for the compliments <laughs> um i forgot um who was it that was was it scarlett did you mention that the sun yeah. yeah did you enjoy listening to mike Fu? was he i think he's one of the best guests we've had yeah yeah of course but i don't i don't actually remember like what he was saying too clear but i was checking like the karen wong one i actually really like yeah she she was a nice guest because well she's probably in the minority of guests who aren't doing something literary or bookish for their jobs they're so when they're talking about the stories it's just as a reader and that's like a hard, weirdly hard perspective to get because if someone isn't an expert, they usually don't want to come on the show. So yeah, yeah. and the 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 Moyen get the Moyen one the guest. Oh yeah, Lihaila. She's not a translator either, is she? She's an academic who I think is interested in starting in translation, but yeah, she's not. Uh, I don't think she's done any. If she's done any translations, they're not published anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and that one, the Emily Jung one, I like it too because that's not based on the book, mm. and it said a lot of stories about the history of Xi'an uh, and stuff. Yeah, I had something really interesting happen. Um, someone mm-hmm. commented on the YouTube upload of that episode, yeah. uh, and they said, "Hi, I'm one of the translators of the dialogue." Well, actually, not just the dialogue. I'm one of the translators of Gujian 3 who helped bring it into English. Uh-huh. I want to talk to you and I want to talk to Emily. Um, so yeah. I don't know if it's a guy or, or uh, a man or a woman, but they are going to add me on WeChat at some point or possibly some some other app. And maybe we'll be able to get him or her on the show. Cool. I should say I really like Guangzhou too. And I just realized, yeah, he's the guest and... He brought me here. Guanja rocks. He's he's my favorite. <laughs> he's um he was the guy we had on to talk about uh, folding Beijing so, by Hajin yeah, Fang, yeah. and he, he's someone I met in real life uh, before before the mm-hmm. show. He was one of the people at the Leeds Genre Fiction Symposium, and yeah, he's I don't know I don't know how is he's one of those people. It seems like nothing. He's just always in a good mood, at least from what I've seen. He's incredibly chill and happy. <laughs> so how is that doing in Himalaya? A good question. Um, the episodes seem to get a lot of plays on Shimalaya, uh, mm-hmm. although a lot of the time you uplo- I upload it and then in like 10 seconds it gets 50 plays. So I think a lot of those plays are just bots or something, not real people. Yeah. Did you buy bots or no? Like just bots on Himalaya? I don't know, or maybe it's people who've subscribed and it also downloads. I yeah. I don't know, but they appear really fast, which seems weird. Um, but I have had a few people, I'm not really very good at operating the Shimalaya menu, but mm-hmm. a few people have sent comments or messages and said, wow, so happy I found the show. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I sometimes I feel like I have to listen to some English. That's one of the reasons I have to put it on too. Mm. I feel I, I said earlier, um, possibly before we started recording. I feel like my I don't mind not having an academic background, but I wish I could find more time to actually properly learn Chinese because, well, just one reason. There are some quite interesting-looking Chinese-language podcasts out there, like uh, Culture yeah, Potato yeah. and some other ones. But I'm I'm nowhere near that level. I can listen to a Chinese podcast. Yeah, I'm wondering if there will be like a software or app someday, like people can translate all the podcasts in different languages. That would be cool. Yeah, any of you can do it. It's a million-dollar idea. <laughs> oh, we've we've talked about that. Was a story in the sci-fi reading group, like you more the language writs or something. So they put that on your eardrum and oh, yeah. it translates automatically.、Mm. Did any of you ever read or watch、uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded <laughs> me of the Babel fish, the fish you just showed、yeah. in your ear. Yeah, my husband got me one of the Babel fish, like. Kind of like he got what from like Etsy store where people make like、uh, like knitted like a bibble fish as Christmas <laughs> gift one year. <laughs> I mean, we're heading that way in technology. Like when、uh, so a few years ago, when I was still in China, we ran this contest. I actually ran the contest for the ending of my translation of "I Shall Sail the Heavens," and one of the prizes was a trip to China, and the people. The f- weird thing is that the owner of Wushu World never like posted pictures or anything, so or made an announcement that anybody won. So almost nobody knows that somebody won. But actually, two people won the contest, and we brought them to China to meet the author. And、oh. the author, the author is, I think, like many、um, educated Chinese, depending on their background, he's like good at like he can read English to a fair extent, but he can't really speak it. And kind of understands a little bit, but not much. And so he had this like, you know, hand translation device, and you can get apps on the phone as well. But all the similar idea where you talk into it, then it'll convert your、uh, yeah. speech into text, translate it, and then speak it back out in whatever language you want. And so he was interacting with the fans to some extent with this little translator device, and sometimes it worked pretty good. And then other times, I can't remember the specific words that he used. It basically translated what he was saying into something like really obscene, and it was like <laughs> extremely awkward. So yeah, it was a pretty funny moment. But I think that we're probably quite a few years away from stuff like that really being like actually useful. I tried the same with my mother-in-law because my mother-in-law basically doesn't speak or understand English, and so when she came to visit, or maybe it was when my parents went to visit China, I forget. I forget. It was when she came to visit here. I tried that because there's an app on the iPhone which you can do that. You can talk into it in either Chinese or English. I think any language, and then it'll translate. As long as you keep it really simple and you keep your grammar very close to the grammar of the target language, then it's fine. But if you're not careful, stuff gets crisscrossed so easily. It's like almost unintelligible.、Mm. Do any of you know、uh, Hebei Pangzai, the guy who's、uh, got himself famous? First on the Chinese internet, then everywhere, for just drinking insane combinations of like, like I don't know, beer and liquor and eggs, and he'd light it on fire and drink it. No, I've I've heard of yeah, I know who you're talking about. Exactly. 
Yeah. I haven't, I don't follow that kind of content, but I do know <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's probably, um, I don't know if he'd be the most famous person from the PRC on the worldwide internet, but certainly probably the most famous Chinese, like, farmer, like, agri, like, I don't want to use the word peasant, but like a guy from the Chinese countryside who's made it big on Twitter and YouTube. Um, but he once, I don't know, I think at some point he realized that the videos he was getting over the firewall or people who were taking his videos over the firewall, they were blowing up. So he, I think he had either he found a friend or a contact who could translate for him and he started running a Twitter account and stuff. So he would make videos um you would know that some of the videos he was making were for outside China because he would um, he'd sit there at his table doing his drinking tricks or whatever. He would be holding his phone. He'd speak into it in uh, quite northern sounding Mandarin. And then the machine would speak out English and that would be the him speaking to the video viewers. And it was pretty good translations um, for the most part. There was a few weird pronunciations and words, but whatever software he was using was good. Oh, is it, are we talking about Fat Monkey? Is that his name? I found it's called Hebei Pangzai. Yeah, Hebei Pangzai, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a fat guy. As well. He's not too far from where I was, because I was in Hebei as well, right. a little bit north of that. Mm-hmm. It used to be, um, he got the pinyin wrong in the username, he put a uh, Hebei Pangzai at first, but he corrected it. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Maybe I should start doing like Chibo. <laughs> I just I just found this. Um, I just put in like fat Chinese. <laughs> and I found this guy whose name is Ho Pangzai, I guess, as mm. fat monkey. And, and he's one video is like 18 million views it's oh, just oh. him eating um beef leg interesting yeah, crazy yeah yeah when i was saying hebei pangzai i wasn't trying to be clever and translating his name back into chinese that is just his username so probably most people um who are enjoying his videos on twitter don't know what pangzai is they th- they might think it's his name <laughs> Mm. Crazy YouTube world. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, I mean, he's pretty impressive. At least the effort he made to get over the firewall and and stuff. But yeah, um, probably shouldn't dedicate much more than five minutes talking about him though. <laughs> it might, it might disgust some listeners. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Do any of you listen to any other like podcasts about anything? Chinese. I watch a lot of recently. I've been missing home, so I watch a lot of like uh, YouTube videos where it's like foreigners living in China, <laughs> and the, the there is Xiaoma, which is like one of the but the, that's Xiaoma talking about I guess uh, living in US. Um, but there are like a lot of uh, a lot of YouTubers. And people accuse them for like being bought by Chinese government, like being propagandist. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of funny. And then they do a, like a 
video together and say, no, we just love living in China. That's why we upload these videos of our lives. We're not like paid to do these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I really hate about anything in English, talking about anything Chinese, that just like so many things online, it can just turn into a, I don't know what you could, like a dumpster fire of, you're a Wumao, no, you're, uh, you know, no, no one can be, yeah, <laughs> no one can be happy and be in the, just be themselves. Yeah, it's like one of my, the one of the fun things for me to do is in YouTube, in any Chinese videos, there will be, like Chinese from mainland and Taiwanese people arguing like all the time in any video it could be. I'm like, oh, it's so interesting. Do you guys mm. usually use uh, the app called Clubhouse? Yeah, uh, I downloaded it. Sorry. What's it called? Clubhouse. Clubhouse. I don't know it. Is what? it the US, like mainstream now, kind of? It just yeah. started a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah, you, you need like invitation code. But if you guys want it, I have some invitation code. It's just like like a live chat room and people oh. can join just talking by like by read. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sorry, I was miss miss I wasn't hearing correctly. Yeah, I heard that one. Yeah, like I heard Musk going on for uh, yeah. going on there like talk for like half an hour and then anyone as long as you like squeezed yourself into that room which has probably like a limit of a thousand people in then you, you, you could like raise a question and talk to elon musk so that's cool i don't think well like there are a lot like you can make your own rooms or join any other people's rooms and like when it start well now it's blocked in mainland china actually but when it just started like a lot of people are joining from china and then people are talking people from China and like Taiwan or Hong Kong, they start like talking about this political things in one room. It's kind of interesting to listen people's point of view, but it's interesting because like you can really talk instead of typing you know, on the, on the mm -hmm. like a text. There was a, some coverage of that, a lot of coverage of that on China Twitter. So all these, mo mostly Westerners, um, but all these people who cover China in academia or the media for their jobs. They were all talking about Clubhouse because of the fact that it briefly wasn't blocked in China. So there were these rooms where people from, you know, inside and outside the PRC were talking about sensitive topics. Yeah. And uh, one guy that was really taken with it, he's um, he's a, a podcaster. Um, he's called Kaiser Kuo and he's does has this show called Seneca, which is mostly about like news, business, politics. Um, but it's quite fun. And he did an episode all about Clubhouse, the Chinese Clubhouse rooms, where he interviewed a guy that started a Clubhouse room about um, Xinjiang, um, mm -hmm, looking for yeah. people's thoughts about that. And they did manage to get people from a bit of a spectrum of opinion. Um, mm -hmm. But he seemed very impressed with it. Yeah. And I didn't listen to the whole episode, but um, it was interesting because the guy, the guy that started the room he's a chinese american but i think he's a chinese american maybe a bit like Tianqi. like he didn't move there when he was five or something he moved there as an adult i think he was a, he was a famous member in tang chao yue Dui, a band oh yeah kaiser kuo yeah 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 i like sub china sub china which is like the mother organization i guess mm -hmm. 
the the literature no, no, not literary journal but the online like um you call it news outlet media news. platform something like that to answer your question um about the podcasting i was actually going to mention seneca podcast i don't i don't listen to it now for the same reasons i was mentioning earlier it, time constraints and kids and whatnot but back when i was uh first getting into the culture and language I listen to the same things I think probably everybody listens to, including that one, uh, the Chinese history podcast, and, and of <laughs> course the language learning ones. Um, and nowadays, I, I, I don't know. Speaking of YouTube, it's like I have a, I have a very probably jaded and cynical, um, like outlook on especially the China centric. Hello, Lee. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, what were you saying, Jeremy? I was just saying I, I, I'm kind of a little cynical and, j and jaded in terms of the foreigners in China YouTube scene, just because mm. I, no, I I'm not on the side of the I think they've been bought by the government or thing. I'm more on the side of like, I feel like there's a marked difference between living in Shanghai, Beijing or something like that, and then getting outside of the big city to live in places that are not Beijing and Shanghai. <laughs> it's like the there's so many of these top YouTubers that are living there and and then putting out content explaining or giving their viewpoint on life in China, which I, I don't think it's wrong. I don't think they're trying to like mislead people or something. But just in my experience, life both for foreigners and for a lot of Chinese people in the meg in the tier one like cities where you have like Chaoyang district and the foreigners can go get all the same food as at home and everything. Just the lifestyle is very different. And so I, I, I watched some of them for a while and then kind of just got turned off to it because it was so different from the life that I was living. Uh, and then one final thing I wanted to throw out there was that, so on my YouTube channel, I just put out a video a couple days ago about um, Chinese censorship in web novels. And I normally, so my channel, I try to keep it just about fantasy fiction and stuff. I don't go into politics and like real life stuff, but this was kind of like an exception. And I specifically, and and believe it or not, one of the top um, censored terms that I have come across after translating, you know, like 13 million Chinese characters has to do with, I'm not going to reveal it now. So if you want to know what it is, go visit my YouTube <laughs> channel, which is youtube.com slash deathblade. But anyway, Sorry. it actually has to do with the whole, you know, the Taiwan and mainland, or at least I, I, I can't, you know, I wouldn't stake my life on the fact that this term is censored because of that. But in, I'm pretty sure that it has to do with that and so i thought that was pretty interesting and i i asked the in terms of what some of you said about seeing the mainlanders and the non-mainlanders like clash online uh, in the comments section of I, I have got that on my video sometimes but i try to i try to prevent it from happening uh and in this video specifically i asked people please don't get into that because it's not what my channel is about uh but yeah i get the same thing where there's people people from mainland jumping in people from non-mainland jumping in with opposing opinions and clashing in the comments section. I, I guess that's probably unavoidable because there there are, however much the government cracks down in the mainland, there are still people who manage to get their VPNs and sure. jump over the firewall. Yeah. Well, I guess opposing opinions coming together could be a good thing or a bad thing. Like in those clubhouse rooms, at least from what I heard, it was productive. But yeah, if it's YouTube comments, they're famously unproductive. <laughs> I actually um, was a colleague of one of those China, for, foreigner in China videos guys. Um, I don't know if he had a channel, but he appears in a few videos. I've just sent a link in the chat. 
he's one of these guys where he's so good at Mandarin and Shanghainese. The videos would be like he'll go up to people on the street and he'll ask them if they know blah blah word, and then they don't, and he teaches it to them. I thought that was kind of a funny idea, but also like I don't know, it makes me. It's kind of seems a bit like a dirty trick because you could do that to me. You could throw up dozens of bizarre English words at me.、Mm. It'd be pretty easy to do. But yeah, hi, hi, Lee.、Um, I guess we haven't properly said welcome. Welcome to the party. It looks like this is about all of us. There's going to be six of us now. Yeah, bless you. Hey, how are y'all? Sorry to be late. Um, that the、uh, we were uh uh. The the weather is like perfect for once, and、uh, so my daughter and I, and my wife, were sledding.、Uh, so, wow, yeah, you know, can't 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 argue with good weather. Is it so? It's snowy where you are. So, um, here right now, it's maybe like uh, so we're down in the valley, um, and we're at about maybe one hundred meters. And、uh, it is there's absolutely no snow for the next、uh, probably thousand meters up, but but about an hour away you can get to about、uh, if, if you go an hour and a half you can get to some ski slopes.、Um, and so we we went up to an area for sledding,、um, and it was like just perfect spring weather.、Um, I think it's maybe like. Ten, sorry, hang on. I'm trying to translate this into to metric.、Uh, like appreciate it. Seven or eight degrees Celsius,、um, but sunny and like fan, fantastic. Where the snow is,、um, where we are, it's like fifteen、uh, degrees Celsius. I think something like that. Like it's quite, it's quite nice.、Um, and so yeah, we met up with.、Um, I, he's been on the podcast a couple of times before. His name is Brandon, but he、uh, he is doing a PhD in sociology, and his daughter is about the same age as my daughter, and they're in class together, so they're kind of within our bubble, and so we we meet up with them, and、mm. yeah, it's good. And when you say the podcast, I'll just say for listeners who don't know Lee, he's I guess you're talking about the Chinese literature podcast, which you're one yeah, of. Yeah, sorry,、so. I should have said something. Yeah, Chinese literature podcast dot com or. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the thing with podcasts; you never know quite where to point people to, apart from your own website, because it's all what's the word decentralized through all the different providers. Yeah, yeah. Well,、um, I've just been kind of kicking us along、uh, with various conversations, starting questions. I'll see what the next one is.、Um, oh yeah, yeah. Actually, here's one for you.、Um, so I just asked everyone if they listened to. Any other podcasts about anything Chinese at all, or if they have favorites? If Seneca got mentioned a few times. Do you listen to anything like that, Lee? Yeah.、Um, so Seneca, I, I, I love.、Uh, I have not been quite as faithful recently in listening to it,、um, but I, I still love it and I listen to it a, a fair amount.、Um, but also、uh, the Chinese History podcast. Yeah, with Lazlo.、Uh, Yeah, Laszlo Montgomery. That's a, a great podcast. And、um, have y'all heard of Pekingology? It rings a bell. So it's a podcast. I just started listening to it this week, but it's a、uh, it's by Jude Blanchett, who just wrote a book about、um, I think the the new leftist in Chinese politics. 
Um, but Pinkingology is is put out by a fairly large uh, DC think tank that he works for, mm. and what he's trying to do is adapt uh, adapt scholarship on China to sort of U.S. policymakers. So, like, if you're a U.S. policymaker, you don't know that much. You're not like in academia, but you want to know more from academics about China. Um, so, like, he had an episode on the Chinese stock market that was both uh, very technical, but also like really easy for a moron like me to understand. So, nice. yeah. Um, I have to be honest, I probably drunk my, my beer too quickly. I'm going to have to do a toilet run. But what I'll maybe do is I'll leave you with a question that will hopefully keep the thing afloat while I'm gone. Um, and it's just left my head. What was it? Shit. Um, oh, yeah, this is the question. So, um, so my podcast is the Translated Chinese Fiction Podcast. And one of the things that uh, got me started on this was obsessing over what's out there in Chinese lit that doesn't get translated, like if the authors and genres and stuff that really should be brought into English, but for maybe like business reasons or just prejudice, it doesn't get translated into English. So I wonder if you guys have any authors or books that if you were king of the universe, you would get translated into English, what would they be? But I really need to go, so I'll be back as fast as I can. Uh, can I int interrupt? The, you mentioned the think tank. Do you remember which think tank? Or it's it's CSIS. Ah, uh, CSIS. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, looking on to the picking picking knowledge, it seems like it's a subscription based something. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong one. I don't know. Uh, I mean, at least for for me, I was able to just go through my podcast provider. They they provide like uh, like select translations of 14th VIP draft and all that. Like the uh, Yeah, I think I'm looking at this. That's cool. Yeah. How do people find time? Because I'm working full time and I like barely update my podcast. <laughs> How do people find time to, to like upload all these? That's that's really nice. Yeah. Um for for Jude Blanchett, I think he gets I think that's part of his job. Mm. Working there. But for other people I have no idea. For us it's kind of um it's just a hobby. Uh that we um, we were able to kind of keep going as a way uh, eventually to 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 try and do something with. I mean, we're we're dealing in in scholarship, mm -hmm. so we always have time and we never have time because yeah. we you know like for me and Rob at least um, it's always a uh, you know, we could always be doing more research. I well, we actually didn't get to the question you asked, Ingus, but I, <laughs> I did have an answer to it, or at least mine, and I think it, you can probably guess what I would say, but I obviously wish there were more licensed official Wuxia translations. Mm -hmm. I mean, Gulong to start with, um, but I would, I mean, 
I haven't yet quite reached the level where I'm comfortable reading Xinyong. Not that I can't. I, my Chinese level, I think, is good enough, but it would be so slow that I would. I just like, like I was saying before, I don't have time for movies, books, podcasts, or anything, let alone to sit down with um, a really well written uh, Xinyong book and then break it apart. So I would love to have more of that stuff and and. Gulong as well. I mean, you can get Jinyong stuff in fan translation. I think almost all of it. There's a lot of stuff Gulong. Um, like, for instance, Xiao Shi Long is one of his pretty well-known stories. And that's the one that you can get officially licensed on Amazon, translated the 11th Sun, they call it on in the English translation. But that's actually, uh, that's one of two books um, featuring the same protagonist and cast of characters. And so the first book, Xiao Shi Long, The 11th Son, kind of ends on a semi-cliffhanger. And the second book continues the story, and it has not been translated. Either fan, well, there isn't really much in terms of actual um, official translation. So I would, I have been toying with the idea of adding that to my collection of translated Gulong stuff. And unfortunately, based on my understanding, um, so the owner of Wuxia World, which is where I post most of my um, licensed web 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 novel translations. The owner is in China, and he has a lot of connections in the publishing industry there. And last time I talked to him about this, he told me that there is an unknown media company that purchased all of the rights to all of the <gasps> works, and he didn't know who it was. And I mean, I'm I'm not like I'm I'm not in the position to press him to <laughs> to figure out who it is, mm. but I would love to. Um, those four three novels of his that I've translated, you know, I would love to get the rights to them, have them edited and published officially, and have more of that stuff. But unfortunately, on, on the Gulong side, it seems that some mysterious company out there has has those rights. I mean, if anybody out there has more information than that, I would love to hear it. But in any case, that's the that's my answer to your question. Um, I would love to see more of that stuff translated and available, and especially people outside of Jinyong and Gulong. As much as I love them. And as much as I especially love Gulong, I would very much like to see other stuff as well. Um, for the same reason as I mentioned with, with the Jinyong novels, is just although I do translate them and I can read it, it's like I'm a slow reader actually, even in English. So, in terms of the time requirements, I'm just like I, I have bits of like 30 minutes here, 45 minutes here throughout the day that the, you know, uh, eight-month-old isn't crying and my mm. five-year-old isn't you know bouncing off the walls and like destroying everything that he touches so it's probably going to be a few years before i fulfill my dream of reading jin yong stuff let alone other authors right um that kind of the, the shady ip company that reminds me a bit of that story from a few months back when one of the guys in the company that owns the three-body ip rights got murdered by one of his colleagues. I don't know if you guys saw that story. Yeah, it happened. Um, so hopefully that Gulong IP owning company isn't a scary one, just secretive. Yeah, maybe um, they're like a benevolent company that will soon pay translators across the world to translate his entire body of works, body of work, but who knows? Who knows, yeah. Um, what about uh, the the... the Chinese people in, in, in the room. Do you guys wish any Chinese authors were more famous worldwide? Hmm. Question, I guess. 
I, I mean, like I do a lot of classical Chinese um, literature, mm. so yeah, there are just seldom any like besides the really famous ones. I, I wish I could, I guess, listen to a podcast. The ideal podcast would be like a more comparative literature themed one where where you have like you know Tang poetry and then maybe some random comparison to to poetry or poet from another culture I, um, and I thought that would be fun but that, that's not your question your question is like Chinese authors mm. Mm. And it would be a cool podcast though I um I don't know if you guys saw this but after the modern uh, lit episode I did it I saw there was a I won't say who it was but there was this person involved in Chinese lit who had a tweet about Han Song and I was stupid enough to try and re- reply with a quote tweet and say something like oh that's funny I was just talking about Han Song on my podcast I'm not if I wish I knew sci-fi better I could say which sci-fi author he reminded me of maybe JG Ballard or um who was the other one? Oh yeah, Philip K. Dick. And the reply I got was very like angry. Like I don't see this person said I don't feel the need to compare um, this great Chinese author to Western canon male writers. He stands on his own right as a great author. And I thought, well, sure he stands on his own right, but like I can't even have a discussion with you if that's if that's how you feel. But yeah, the compar- comparing literature from different parts of the world, or even just different different offers from the same part of the world, I I enjoy that a lot too. Um, I try and do it a bit on the show, but you could there would be like you could easily have a whole show just about that, and I would listen to it. Yeah, I feel like it's very random for like some some things are very popular in China. And then not as popular here, and like same as music. So I bought that Chinese karaoke machine here, and when my boy boyfriend's family want to try those English sounds, and they can't find them, like yeah, like we, yeah. So so it's like we think we'd like the those English sounds we've been listening to so many years. They are actually not as popular here, so. Mm. It depends on, yeah, really depends on people's taste, I guess. And I remember I th- when I was very new in China, uh, mm. one of the HR guys from the company that hired me, he was a really cool guy. His English name was, I think it was Ryan. He's a few years mm. older than me. So he would have been like 27, what I am now. Super cool guy, dressed cool, was like the, just epitomized cool. But I remember like... um maybe second time I hung out with him it wasn't really hanging out I think we were going to get some paper stamp he's like so you're from Britain or you're from uh yeah you're from United Kingdom so you must like Westlife you like Westlife right I love Westlife (laughs) and I was like huh (laughs) no one's talked to me about them since I was in primary school but apparently they're still big at least in KTV rooms in China Uh, which year was that uh that was I was that conversation would have been like 2014, maybe 15. Oh, yeah. And they were big, like, what, turn of the millennium, I think, or maybe before I that. I remember listening to Westlife when I, was, when I was in middle school, like 2002, 2000, uh, elementary school. Slash, yeah. Middle, yeah. 
I think it's kind of cool though that something can have a like an extended life or an afterlife somewhere else in the world because I don't know maybe Westlife deserve to for their thing to keep going after they've lost it in their homeland. Cool idea. Maybe they don't deserve it. I don't know. Um, also, I remember you the interview with Michelle Dieter. Is that her name? She said yeah. she's been translating Huanle Song, like Old to Joy. Oh yeah. It's like um, a story of five five young women living in Shanghai. It's like so temp- contemporary, and they have like drama. They have two series now, two seasons now. And I quite I found it quite surprising because what like in my imagination the translated Chinese books they should be like quite profound to like more interesting ones. For that one I'm thinking, mm, does it make like much sense? I'm not sure. Did did that one get published yet or is she still working on it? Do you know? I think she might be still working on mm, it. Right. Yeah. Um so I won't, I guess I shouldn't say too much, but the, the company I work for, uh, at least part-time sort of as a freelancer, they're looking at, or they have brought out some books that are um, famous in China because of a, a TV show. Mm-hmm. And that TV show doesn't have English subs. Actually, there's a couple of these. Yeah, one of them is one of them is published now so i guess i can say it. it's um uh, renmin the mingyi in the name of the people which yeah. did get a lot of coverage in like english language media about it but i've looked online and it you can find about 10 or something episodes with english subtitles but basically this show doesn't really exist in at least english language media so the question is if you're trying to bring out the book version in english what luck can you have and then yeah if you're going a step further and bringing out something that um has no presence outside of china and is famous for i don't know for for tv or for being a series yeah it would be a challenge for a publisher to to make that sell and make back the money you spend publishing it i think yeah it was so popular that one Mm. i watched it on youtube yeah and and actually, that writer is from my hometown. Cool. Yeah. 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 I guess like for stuff about Shanghai, I think the so former show guest um, Paul French, he's got his niche about like sort of old Shanghai, colonial Shanghai, like film noir style jazz Shanghai, and something like that. I think that's always gonna have some appeal to Western audiences. But yeah. I feel like if you have something that's just a realistic set in modern Shanghai, that's it's hard true. to you would just you would need something extra to hook a Western audience. Something yeah. like corruption would do it. Um, but probably I feel like it'd be easier to do like sci-fi or something. In fact, the one thing I can think of what that mm. brought Shanghai to foreigners was the film Her. Do you guys know that one? Mm-hmm. It's the one where a guy he falls in love with the AI on his smartphone. Mm-hmm. And it was they they tried to film it in like futuristic cities that looked like they would be nice places to live, and one of those was Shanghai. I think mostly on uh, Pudong, the mm-hmm. very modern looking parts. 
So that kind of sneakily brought some normal everyday life of some of Shanghai to international audiences. But it would have been a totally different story. I don't know if they set it there with a Chinese cast or something. Yeah. I, Angus, I have an answer to your question uh, on translations. Um, I was actually really hoping for, so I know someone mentioned some of the classical ones. Does anybody know um, the three Yuan brothers, Yuan Hongdao, Yuan Zhongdao, and Yuan Zhongdao? So they're Ming Dynasty philosophers who are really interesting, the, the bits that I've read. Um, but they're like, even for someone who's like fairly good at Chinese, my, my Wenyan win is kind of crap. Um, and, uh, so I would like to see more, uh, of, of folks like that, like philosophers who aren't like the big Confucian warring states philosophers. Cause you, you've right. got translations of those, but then like after that, you don't, there's not that much. I don't. Do y'all know? Is there a translation of like Jushi and his writings, or or anything like that? Like, I mean, just like there's like two thousand years of of all of this interesting philosophical thinking that's just kind of barren in terms of how how much is translated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of like another thing. Like, do you know? Do you guys know much about if there are trans English translation of like Buddhism, like Cohen? Cohen, like Gongan. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think more academic thing. Like, yeah, it's like um, from the Indian or the Sanskrit, like uh, scripts, or from the Chinese test. I think there must be a lot, but then that the, they would be like categorized into like the 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 mm-hmm. inside the East Asian languages and cultures departments, mm-hmm. like which area specialization, Buddhist studies or something. Yeah, because just like Lee just said, it's kind of like philosophical Yeah, um, stories and ideas. I think some of it comes to English via Japanese rather than Chinese because there is this yeah. kind of uh, bias in, in English that, that kind of biases any discussion of Buddhism in East Asia towards Japan rather than, than China. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say from a publishing and distribution perspective, which um, I'm, I pretend to know something about, um, so, something like what you guys are describing probably has a decent chance at translation, perhaps because if it's going to be if it's of academic interest, then it doesn't have to survive in like market conditions. It doesn't need to make its money back. It just needs the right funding. But then the sort of where I would be skeptical of that is how well will it be distributed and read? Like, will it just be sitting in an academic library? Will it have a huge academic paywall that libraries can pay for, but individuals can't? Or will a university press publish it, but in a really ugly or bland book that won't make it onto commercial bookshelves? So, like, I feel like something that is, in a way, I think academic presses and publishing are great because they can bring stuff into another language without it having to be, you know, tick capitalist boxes, like make money back. But then on the other hand, the the upside of a com- having the commercial angle is the publisher has to put in the effort to make the thing sell and make it look nice. But I guess that's, hard, you know, there's no magic answer for that one. Yes, that explains why a lot of professors assign their own books 
undergrad <laughs> 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 graduate school.、Mm. I I have a I just did my masters right in the pre-modern Chinese literature, and、um, I have some friends from my masters that went went on to do PhD. And、uh, one girl, she is at、uh, Princeton、uh, in the Asian religions field, and her research is on disability, body, and healing in medieval Chinese Buddhism. So like very very niche. I I don't think like anyone besides her. In that、yeah. whole like, Princeton department was doing it, and and she like she's doing very meta meta stuff like interdisciplinary nature of Buddhist images and interactions between like images and practitioners in the realm of dream in like Chan Buddhism. <laughs> like like I I don't think even if you go into like the, the into some like temples in China and find the the people working there, they wouldn't. Be able to tell you much about <laughs> these things, so I, I feel like even if they're published, you know, the the audience would be small numbers of people. But but it it's still like very cool to、yeah. to have people like interested in all sorts of you know thing. So I actually I completely agree about、um, would love to see more ancient texts. But it's kind of for a different reason. I gotta qualify this. I'm not a big philosopher kind of guy, but this stuff comes up over and over again in the fantasy stuff I translate. And I cannot tell you how many times the authors will. Now this is just you know web literature, pulp,、uh, pulp fiction kind of stuff. But they the authors will draw on these things constantly,、um, not in a very deep way, but just as a flavor thing or to. Create some kind of magical technique or something, and so I'm will come across this stuff that just like doesn't come up in any dictionary or anything, and I'm like, what the heck is this guy talking about? And I'll <laughs> try to be doing my research, and I'll, and I'll give you a really good example was in the、uh, novel I most recently or the series I most recently translated. I came across this reference to、uh, the ten Daos or ten ways or paths or whatever you want to translate it, and I started trying to figure out like what is this because this author will a lot of times. Use the ancient, whether it's Buddhist or Taoist stuff. He'll pull it in, and he he won't really use the, what it really means, but he'll kind of touch on it a little bit. So if I don't know what exactly he meant, then I don't really know how to translate it. So I was researching it. I really couldn't find much online, even in Chinese.、Um, basically, according to what I could find in Chinese, this ten Taoists or ten paths or ways or whatever was introduced、um, sometime during Tang Dynasty times. And I was thinking, like the I pulled it up here really quickly. the The way that they were listed was: don't kill, don't steal, don't perform evil acts, don't lie, don't double talk, don't curse, don't use erotic speech, don't be greedy, don't be wrathful, and don't be wicked. And I was thinking, like, man, this is so reminiscent of the biblical Ten Commandments. I'm wondering if they're、mm. like connected. And based on my cursory online research. Uh, apparently, Christianity was coming into China roughly around these times, and so I'm really curious. Like, is there a connection between those two things? I couldn't find anything online, at least in Chinese. Much obviously, much less translated into English. So, I too would love to see more of that stuff and have it available for, if for nothing else, my selfish purposes of being able to understand it when I'm translating it in the less、uh, important realm of of online fiction. Yeah, I feel like that would be something. Show up in like secondary research by by scholars or like professors at or PhD students, and 
And I think very soon we would have like the digital humanities field would, would de develop into um, something that when we uh, put into keywords, we can just scan through like the whole, like, I guess if everything is digital, uh, digitized, like you can, you can see people's PhD thesis and like, immediately find that in their, in their paper, hopefully. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, like all of them are buried into like the the deep like library archives. Yeah, as a ultra layman, that's always what I'm wondering. I'm I'm like looking up this stuff, and it's like it's not showing up anywhere in Google or Baidu. And I'm just thinking there must be some secret academic like like portal or something to access all of this information that I don't know about. <laughs> Hello to the seventh member of the party, uh, Jeremy Jr. Yeah, this is, uh, this is my eight-month-old daughter. I'm bringing her in here to let her give her mom a little bit of a break for a couple of minutes, as long as she will remain calm. She seems very interested in all of you on Skype. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. Um, we're, Skype has visualized us on a sort of like an elven council. I don't know how else to describe it. Or, or, or a woodland I don't know, yeah, Woodland Parliament of some sort, all set at the stone benches. It's it's funny hearing you guys talk about this because, uh, number one, thanks for that advice. Uh, number two, it's it's kind of funny because it, it touches on a, something that always is a question for me. I wouldn't say, well, let me back that up a bit. It's not so much of a question because I feel like I've answered it for myself, but it's an issue to deal with when you translate my kind of stuff because... You know, it's Pulp Fiction, mostly aimed at um, in the original, you know, in China, young people and overseas, probably same young people. And it's and so I run across these things where it's obviously um, it'll be quotes from Buddhist text or a Taoist text or something. And it's obviously like I, I can find the, some Chinese information, but no explanation. And then I'm thinking, like, how much time do I realistically want to devote to trying to figure out what this really means, considering that it's basically not important? Like, it'll be like, imagine you were, it was in English, and, like, it's like John Wick movie, and the, and the guy says, don't you know, thou shalt not kill? Well, you're going to die, or something. And, and you're Chinese, you never heard of thou shalt not kill. It's kind of like, that's not, the, the deeper connotations aren't really that important. So this is something I, I sort of struggle with, because when I'm translating those novels, it comes across a lot where they'll be quoting who knows what ancient text, and I'm, I'm going down this rabbit hole, you know, going from one place to another, finding out this ancient philosopher and that ancient person, and then I, I end up spending like an hour on one line of text that basically has no nothing to do with the plot, nothing to do with anything. It's just, from the Chinese side, I imagine that it's the author being fairly well-read, or maybe he has a copy of whatever thing off the side of his uh, of his workstation. He kind of pulls it out, and he's like, "Wow, this sounds really cool. I'm going to throw this in there." And then then I end up spending an hour or two or something researching it. And so it's something I kind of struggle with is trying to decide at what point do I say, "Okay, forget it. I'm, I'm going to stop going down the rabbit hole and just go with what I'm what I'm pretty sure." Okay, I guess maybe she disagrees with me, but you guys get my point, right? <laughs> I think I said when I had um, uh, your your fellow web translator uh, Etvo on the show, she it was her translation of Necropolis Immortal, so like a tomb raiding um, 
I forgot the Chinese name for that genre. No, nope, it's gone. But yeah, like a tomb raiding adventure. And there was the the although we didn't get into it on like the one or two chapter ten, I think, first chapters we read for the episode, that one creates its own magic system, which is based on like traditional Taoist, I think, um systems of some sort or another. So she made a whole web page that had like diagrams and paragraphs of text explaining it. And that's it's pretty cool because if you wanted to do that in a print book or even an ebook, you would need to do it just as text, probably in an intro at the start, not as this dynamic page that the reader can flick back and forth between. So I feel like at least as like a web fiction or translated web fiction guy, you have tools at your disposal that a um, more conventional translator wouldn't. But maybe that makes you more keen to go down the rabbit holes, whereas a more traditional translator would be like, nope, not not going to go there. Yeah, that that's exactly what I mean. Like, um, my first major project that got me down the path was I Shall Seal the Heavens. And in that book, the first half or more is based, it takes place in the mountain and sea realm. It's all a reference to the classic of mountain and sea. <laughs> and at, at first, it was very difficult to me for me to figure out at what point is the author using actual stuff from the classic of mountain and seas and at what point is he making up his own stuff and how do i figure that out that yeah, was pretty challenging that's weird because that came up on a recent episode of the show um on beijing coma where Majian he has these bits between the sections where it starts off it's all descriptions of inside this comatose guy's body but then he kind of switches to including descriptions of stuff from the classic of mountain and seas the shanghai jing but some of it is like so perfectly parallel with the book. I didn't know if he was making up stuff that just sounded like it was from the Shanghai Jing. And maybe if the translator, his Flora Drew, his wife and the translator had wanted to, she might have footnoted and said, this is from Baba chapter. This is his own creation. But like, especially in a print book, it might destroy the magic a bit, destroy the immersion. So, yeah. Um, I had a question... What was it? It was, um, how did you discover the show? But I think since not everyone is a dedicated listener of my own podcast, I'll, ask, I'll flip it around because um, I guess everyone here except um, Scarlett has some sort of a output online, be it a podcast or something else. Um, so I want to ask you guys, like... Is that a yeah. Scarlett uh, audience member? or I, I missed out the whole introductions. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, so I'll go through everyone, I guess. Scarlet, Scarlet's a, yeah. a listener from quite a way back, right? And yeah. I was, like she's one of the listeners that will pop up and give me feedback or whatever. The, I don't know if there's a how do you phrase that? Fairly engaged listener, um, <laughs> and then so. then uh, Yourself, Tianchi, Yang, and Lee, you guys have all got your own podcasts and you've all been on the mega crossovers. And Jeremy goes online by the name of Deathblade and he translates mm. Wuxia into English, mostly from like web stuff. So that's who we all are. Um, but I wanted to ask you all where, when people find your output online, um, who are, are there any like, is, what am I trying to say? Do they say how they found it, or do you get like particular recognizable types of listeners or fans, or is there just anything interesting you can say at all? 
For me, it's simple. It's really easy. It's just all my friends. I force them to listen. <laughs> yeah, and I, those who can listen the whole episode and give me feedback um, gets a, a cup of bubble tea when I meet them <laughs> post-pandemic. I guess. Yeah. And the I, interviews that I plan to do are all with my like, friends from my master's time because I did like masters in East Asian field. So, so they're all like kind of that PhD students, things like that. I think I've said before in the show, my closest group of friends from like school, like high school, most of them are engineers. So they don't even read books. So I can't really, <laughs> I can't make them listen. Um, I don't know if any of my old like expat friends from China listen. I probably... I get. I didn't want to spam them too much, and I'm not in regular contact with them. I did ask. Uh, I had a friend on my master's publishing course when I was in Edinburgh, who, when I told him he's starting the show, I, he was like, "Oh yeah, I've read uh, a classic of Chinese lit. I've read uh, the Water Margin, Outlaws of the Marsh, uh, Shui Hu." I was like, "Cool. Do you want to do an episode with me?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> no. <laughs> At least he was honest. I got a lot of. I- Sorry, go ahead. Go. No, no, go for it. I was just saying, I get it from all different directions. Like, I'll get people that show up on the YouTube channel and comment and be like, wow, I followed your transitions for so long. I had no idea you had a YouTube channel. Or I'll get people that, you know, say, oh, I've just found your channel on YouTube. It's so great. And then they go from there into finding other stuff. So it's kind of like just, it seems completely random to me. I'm not really sure what where people are mostly coming from. It's It's hard to say. Yeah, YouTube seems to be a really good one for getting like found. Yeah, I was working with, or I was, I did a panel with. I don't know if you've heard of um, Immortal Studios. Um, Peter oh, yeah. Xiao is the son of uh, Xiao Yi, a pretty well-known wuxia author, and so they started this uh, media company recently, making I think primarily comic books right now, uh, based on the works of Xiao Yi, his dad. Um, and they're, I think they just launched their second Kickstarter for um, an original title based on those works. And I've been kind of consulting with them since even before they made their announcement of the company. Um, and then I did a panel with them recently. And I think their marketing director um, on the initial meeting uh, was like, oh, yeah, I've been following your YouTube channel for years. And <laughs> like, what? How? Like, seriously, I, I thought he was joking. But then he started like mentioning really old episodes of or videos that I had done a long time ago. So it's always strange to run across people who know me and I, I don't know them. It's it's an odd sensation. I guess they're out there, though. It, it's funny. So I, I we have that same sensation. Like, you know, we were for a while just putting stuff out into the ether and not knowing if people were listening. And then you have people who are like, Oh yeah, you know, like I know, I know about you and Rob and the arguments you have, um, <laughs> right? Like, um, so it, it is kind of weird to. I mean, it's literally broadcasting, right? Um, but uh, Angus, to answer your question, we get a lot of uh, a lot of folks who have are either grad students, um, mm. not surprisingly, because we're grad students, uh, or people who have been grad previously been grad students and then left but wanted to kind of like keep a toehold 
um, in Chinese literature. So I, I don't know how they find us. We haven't figured that out yet. Um, I think it's the, the name of your podcast. It's perfect <laughs> yeah, SEO. Yeah. You know, that's why I chose such a similar name for my one, really, because it does what it says on the tin and it shows up in search results. Yeah. Young, um, uh, do you and your husband get any interactions from listeners or is it? Well, I actually not really keep track. Of, uh, there are people like um, send me emails. I feel like there are a lot of um, Chinese Americans or maybe they're Chinese, I don't know, living in other countries. They, they, they grow up here in the West, but they want to know more about their roots. So they listen to my podcast. And there are some foreigners living in China. Like they listen to my podcast to know more about Chinese culture and stuff. There's recently I received an email. It's like an elementary school teacher. She said, Oh, she's a music teacher and she's going to, she um asked me for like a transcript from like one episode or something. And she said she is going to like talk about a musician. I don't know who the musician is, but she said she's going to talk about the musician in her class. And what the musician says one of her favorite Chinese story, a uh, favorite story is like a Chinese story, and she, that's how she found my podcast. And she asked me if um, she can really play my that episode to her like elementary school kids, and think, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's great. So, yeah, I think on the moderns modern literature episode, I think. I was talking about how once or twice people had said I would like to play this for my undergrad, I don't know, Chinese studies class or whatever, like the Dingling episode or something. And that was kind of cool, but I can't imagine, well, I suppose it depends on what's in the episode, but being played to a class of very small kids, that's almost more cool in a way. I've been thinking. I've been toying with the idea of of doing a podcast myself for like a really long time. One of the reasons I thought I one of the arguments against it is that it basically would be like yours, except more niche, like way, way more niche. So I kind of feel like maybe that's. I'm, I'm talking to you, Angus. It's like mm-hmm. I'm into Chinese translated web fantasy fiction. It's like such a small, narrow readership. And then also for all of the reasons I already mentioned before to you, it's like I can barely do one YouTube video a month when I used to do one a week. And so I, I was talking with my wife about it recently and she just, she vetoed it saying, I just don't have enough time. But I, it, the idea of being able to have conversations with people as opposed to just talking to a camera is like very intriguing. And so I don't know, one of these days I might do it and join you cool podcaster people because I've been wanting to do it for such a long time. Maybe oh, when I my daughter is, is, is not screaming in my ear as much. I think a lot of quite successful podcasts, like the the not that I think Joe Rogan is the best podcast in the world, but it's certainly a successful one. I, as far as I'm aware, he gets sort of double use out of all his interviews. He puts them on as audio on the feed and video on YouTube. If you've got a YouTube already, that seems like a a no brainer. Yeah, that's a good point. It's uh the the hard part is finding quiet time. Um, I'm I'm yeah. I'm I'm bribing my wife heavily to be able to keep her quiet out there for this length of time. And those are rare opportunities. I don't want to, I don't want to call in those favors more than once every month or two. So mm. one day. I am um, this, I, something I probably wouldn't admit if I hadn't had a beer was that one reason I get guests on the show is as 
as um, counterintuitive as that sounds, it saves me a lot of effort because I don't have to be the sole authority on whatever story we're talking about. Like those early ones, I was doing quite a lot of, although they were sort of slapdash in the way I was delivering them, I was doing quite a lot of reading because I needed to know I was, yeah, not doing a crap job representing and interpreting the book. But when I have a guest on, they're the expert and I'm just, I'm just the guy asking the questions. So in a way, it was easier than just talking to the, the mic. Like when I do the solo ones I do now for Patreon, that's just me talking to the mic. And my way of doing that is I don't try to be an expert. I just make them more like, I don't know, word vomit, just first impressions of whatever I've just read. And then that takes off the stress of trying to make it perfect. Yeah. The funny thing is I, so I came up with this great idea a few months ago, which was uh, I, I was thinking, you know, I have, so I have this video series called Chinese fantasy novel FAQ. And at this point it has something like over 50 videos. And I was thinking, man, how many people are there out there that are actually going to sit down and listen to that entire thing? I was like, probably not many. So I have an idea. Why don't I just get somebody to transcribe the videos and then I'll put it into like a book form. And I ended up doing that. So I have this book called understanding Chinese fantasy genres. Oh. And, but here's the thing. Long story short, I do not recommend doing that because <laughs> it was so bad that I might as well have just written the book from this from scratch because the translated ver the, or the transcribed versions of me talking are just horrific. It's the worst possible English you could ever imagine, just yeah. with the interjections and the going off on tangents and different things like that. So, in the end, the book I think is really cool. Um, it's nice, really short intro to the kind of stuff I translate, but definitely. The idea of transcribing, you know, a YouTube video for use as book material, not good. I don't know about podcasts on the podcast side, but at least for me, I'm just too too much of a random talker to, to have that work. Yeah, um, I have a little bit of experience of transcribing myself and other stuff. And even I remember once in undergrad on a creative writing module, I tried writing a script and I thought, right, I'll make it. I'll write the dialogue exactly how people speak. And then after about five minutes, you realize, no, because <laughs> the way people speak is awful. It's not entertaining. It's random. It's fragmented. And um, it does, it's un unlistenable or unwatchable. But you, yeah, it's like a, before you actually try it, it seems like a great idea. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm running out of my conversation starters here. Um, uh, next one was, what is everyone reading? Or but here's a better one, actually. Um, when you guys read books, what proportion of them are Chinese or translated from Chinese, and what is what proportion is everything else? Recently, I've adopted this habit of, of like watching because I I feel like I'm a, a bit too far from my my home culture now that I've lived in US for like many years. Uh, I watch a lot of Chinese TV show, and then I go and see what's the original like fiction that uh, the story is based on. So that's my new hobby. <laughs> and that was what I did when I was in China for exactly the same reason. I was there for so long, I was I felt like I was starting to lose connection with the culture and language, so I was obsessively watching American drama shows. And now I don't do that. And to answer your question, Angus, it, it, it over up until a few months ago, I stayed away from Chinese literature as much as possible. The reason being, I would normally be translating like about forty-five or fifty thousand characters per week, and it's like the, at the when I I'm literally going from 
the morning till the evening, translating constantly. The last thing I want to do is then sit down and read a book in Chinese. It was just my brain was too scrambled for that. Um, recently, I took I'm taking a break from translating to do some original work and. So now I'm kind of contemplating going back into doing some reading, and I mentioned a while back about reading Jinyong. I'm very tempted to to do it, I, but I don't want to do it until I'm 100% sure that I can sit down and actually do it. So I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Uh, mm -hmm. And then on top of that, in preparation for this original novel series that I'm self-publishing, I did a lot of research into the genre material that I was uh, working with. And so for me personally, the past several months, any little bit of spare time, I have, I've been putting into reading those novels or uh, audiobooks while I'm driving my son to school, which is a 20 minute drive. So I, I'm right. listening, like right now, or I was listening to um, the book Altered Carbon, um, a cyberpunk novel, because my series that I'm publishing is kind of cyberpunk. So I listened to Altered Carbon, Altered Carbon in 20 minute chunks uh, three or four days a week. It took me like, three months I think to finish that one novel and by the time I got oh, to the end I was like I'm finally done and then I kind of didn't want to listen to another audiobook in 20 minute chunks over three months yeah that's the I mean audiobooks are, are great but yeah like the stopping and starting and also when you're listening staying focused it's not as passive as one would might wish it would be so, um, I listen to um Whilst running around the track of the campus of the school I, I worked and lived at Shanghai High School, I listened to uh, most, you know, the first two of the Gormenghast books, and it was like that was the last time I listened to audiobooks, but it was the same thing. It like it took so long, it blurs together, and it was in just like 30, 40, one hour snapshots, and even an audio book takes a long time to get through. So I can understand that. At Tianqi, when you're so if the Chinese stuff that you're reading is dictated by what exists as a TV show, does that mean it tends to be one particular kind of book or a few different particular kinds? Mm, not quite, because it used to be, like, I guess I, I didn't watch that much TV anyways. But mm. when I was in like high school, so like 10 years ago-ish, <laughs> um, there were a lot of either like uh, World War II kind of TV shows or like Zhen Huan Zhuan type, which is, uh, uh, you know, all the women fighting for the emperor, uh, pre-modern Chinese drama. Um, or there is kind of a Jing Fei or um, like Chinese police, like crime drama. Kind of there are like these categories and uh, but nowadays is I think it's just very random like whatever my friend recommends me like my friend back in back in China and I would like take a look um, mm. and I, I sometimes can get um, because my mom is in sort of a like, she works for TV station and she's in the media industry in general she cool. knows some uh, people in the film and TV industry, and she can get some of the scripts for the TV shows. And I sometimes read them too, mm -hmm. if there is no like original novel that it's based on. Um, and I thought that's interesting too, because I, I just I'm fascinated by just how how much like audience views there are in China. This market is really 
Uh, mm. Whatever, whenever there is like a new movie coming out, um, it would be like 五十亿 or like 四十亿. Crazy. Yeah, just. I remember I had that thought about numbers um, because although it was not anything big, I've actually been on Chinese TV. I've been on the, you know how different provinces have their own channels? Mm. I've been on the Zhejiang channel because there was some stupid program where they would send a presenter to different schools and show clips from the schools and whichever the, the school I was at. Uh, the foreign language primary school of Moganshan um, they must have had connections because they regularly got visitors and it was just two guys with a DSLR camera they were filming on and of course they wanted to film the foreign teacher so I got put just for a minute or two on this uh, program which got onto this province provincial channel which in you know in a, any other smaller country would be no big deal but the population of Zhejiang is something like 50 million or 60 million. It's like the same as the population of England. Um, so that was my bragging rights um, back home. Even if only 100 people watched the thing when it aired, it was like, this is on a TV channel for a province with 50 million people. No big deal. <laughs> Even though I saw how it was filmed, like the most unprofessional thing you can imagine. Yeah. Is there um, a lot of, yeah, sorry. Yeah, there are a lot of like um, more and more like um, foreigners in. Oh, there is a really good uh, YouTube channel. Forgot the name. I'll get back to you guys. It's really funny. Mama Huhu, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, really they're amazing. Um, they were. So I was living in Shanghai when they were getting bigger and bigger. And I haven't watched many of their videos since. But I did notice, you know, the Scottish guy on Mama Hoo Hoo, the short hair, he's got mm. kind of a small head. Mm, he got yeah. on BBC TV recently. So he's, because yeah. I, I think he's gone back home. I think he's back here in Scotland. So I'll out of China because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's kept his career going and he's on proper TV over here now. This is maybe really random, but um, I always, there's that one guy in Mama Hoo Hoo with the white hair on his beard. Do you know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah, I couldn't tell if he was dying it like that or if he developed really distinctive gray hair on just half of his beard. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're really good comedians. Yeah, um, I don't know if I can give a good example of any of their videos for the listeners. They did. We we mentioned. I I I I brought up the film her recently. Oh, sorry, I brought up the film Her earlier on in this uh, this chat, and they made a sort of parody of Her set in Shanghai. I never watched it though, but they'd like recreate. They had, they had the main character in the same red shirt, but I think I never watched it. I think the difference was he was um, he fell in love with a CCTV camera. Yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Put yeah. it in. Uh, sorry, I interrupted Lee. I think you were trying to say something. Um. Just to, to answer your question, Angus, uh, I, I'd say probably 10 to 20 percent of the stuff that I read is related to China. Um, and uh, I, I actually like so. So this is one of the things um, y'all were talking about, that the reading of audiobooks. I actually now in, if I'm able to get it in or make it into an audio, 
Kazuntite. I will um, normally try and do that, but it's uh, it's uh, actually much easier for me to concentrate. Weirdly, I hear people talking about how difficult it is to concentrate and like reading mm. snippets for thirty or forty minutes. Um, but uh, that's actually like way way easier for me. I don't I don't know why, um, but it it has helped. Uh, um, it actually allowed me to to hit um, a book a day last year. Um, oh wow! That I was so like, I mean, I, I read it at um, you know, I I crank up the speed, um, and, and so I'm reading it like three point five times in uh, Audible. Um, oh but yeah! So like that that's kind of more of my reading habits now, which is completely different from how it was a couple of years ago. Um, I was hitting, you know, 40 or 50 books a year. It's 3.5. Is that not very fast? It, it, it's pretty fast, but it, it, I mean, like it actually, um, I find for whatever reason that if I were to listen to even a podcast at one like at the normal speed, it is actually harder for me to understand than listening at like <laughs> two or three. Um, I don't know why, but like it's just way easier for me. I when I when I um because Rob does most of the editing on our podcast, mm. and I try and you know listen just to make sure he got everything on the podcast. I cringe every time. It's like at, you know one speed. It's just like horrific to hear my own voice. But when I'm doing it at like three. It's great, and I, I I feel like I I comprehend it actually better. Mm. Well, when I'm when I'm editing, it makes me realize how inefficient we are. Well, I don't know if we're using robot logic. Humans don't communicate that efficiently in terms of like time, because we are constantly going. Oh, we're hor these horrible breaths into the microphone that I edit out, and then also the pauses and the ums and the errs. And I when I've got an episode that's run like for three hours and a half. I go quite hard trying to cut all those things out and it's crazy. You can bring down a three and a half hour conversation to like two hours 50 by cutting out all the inefficiencies. So yeah. I see what you mean. You know, I've noticed that on YouTube where there's channels that I follow and I follow them from when they're small and not really well known until they get more popular. They almost always end up talking faster and faster as they get more traction. And I even have hmm. one channel I followed where, and I noticed myself doing the same thing as well. I go back to my old videos and it's like, I'm talking like, hello, welcome to another <laughs> episode. And nowadays I'm just like, bam, 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 bam. And I, and so I, I made a comment about uh, along those lines to a channel that I follow. And the guy got kind of irritated with me. And he, he was like, well, I have people who follow my channel that don't. Oh. We all still on? Yeah, I think we glitched for, for a second so the guy got kind of irritated that i suggested that he talk a little faster because i would i his he was talking so slow i would i would also i would switch to like double speed or something like that and and he got really upset that i made that comment but then i noticed in the following months he actually started talking a lot faster so <laughs> I think my advice yeah well he got mad but he took it on board best <laughs> of both worlds yeah, I think it's the same. Like my old ones, I was kind of modeling myself on one or two I listened to where the person was clearly just doing it for fun and sounded chilled out. I thought, yeah, I'll do that. I won't pressure myself to go quickly. But now if I'm like trying to sort of um, 
duel is a very aggressive sounding word, but if I'm trying to go blow for blow with some very smart person, I I'm trying to articulate quite complicated stuff. And I'm if I'm managing to do it well, yeah, the words come out very quickly. Um, and it sounds very smooth. Um, but then the, the danger of that is sometimes I slip up and I completely lose my train of thought and I have to delete about a minute of um or 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 for me, it's like a practical thing. If I record a 20-minute YouTube video and I talk really slow, I mean, I have to edit it and I have to listen to that entire 20 minutes of video. Mm. So if I can cut that down to 15 minutes, then that's five minutes of my own time that I save a minimum on the editing side. So it makes sense to kind of speed it up a little bit. Fair enough, yeah. Young, your episodes are, at least when I've downloaded and listened to them, they're quite short. Before, when you first record them, are they much longer and edited down, or are they f is the final product quite similar to the recording? Well, I definitely like edit a lot, like for the first few episodes, because I probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then, yeah, usually probably like I record for like thirty minutes, and it became like ten minutes audio in the end. So right. Uh, what about you, Tianqi? Mm. For sorry, for exactly like recording wise, or yeah, just like what? It, how do, how do you go about doing it? Because I guess it's different for different people. I'm so lazy. I also on the on the part of like speaking speed. I grew up. I didn't realize that I talk really slow until like someday in like sophomore year in college. And my friend pointed out that I talk really slow, and I had no idea all my life. I always thought that I was speaking at like normal speed, so it's probably just like something that people don't realize at all, especially for people like me. I I haven't uploaded much episodes, but I I just do it in one take, and uh, I just don't edit it at all. Almost, if I do it wrong in the middle, I, I just do it like again. Um, mm. But I've been like digging up my old papers and turning them into podcasts. So basically, I was just reading my old like academic papers. So <laughs> those are already like written. So I don't. I'm not quite like a podcast style. Are you worried about what will happen when you run out of papers? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like right now. <laughs> um, I've been lazy the past month because I'm. I'm also studying like coding on the side. I've, I've been interested in digital humanities for a while and like uh, natural language processing and all those things. Um, so, but but um, for my podcast, I am gonna upload some interviews with my friends and that's easy on my part because it's them mm -hmm. talking and me talking much less. Um, and for my, for my podcast, uh, materials. I've been doing more like I guess uh, for theme like thematically kind of for Women's Day I was going to upload uh, something after reading Lydia Liu's uh, book on this Chinese feminist Um so it's more like academic I guess um, yeah so more like book reviews I guess in a sense Kind of introducing those in the episodes. Cool. I had another question, but it's gone from my brain. I'm gonna try and recall it. 
Is it because I talk too slow? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It, if I'm being honest, it's because I've uh, I've had a beer and a whiskey since we started, and I, I feel the effects. Um, yeah, I guess I was going to say about my own reading. Um, I have a bit of a dilemma because, yeah, when I was in China, uh, what you were saying, Jeremy, wanting to, or and Yu Tianqi as well, wanting to get a little bit of home, or at least if not home, a familiar culture, because, you know, the magical thing of reading stuff in English, a lot of the world is pumping out English language books, not just Scotland and the UK, where I'm from. Um, so yeah, I'd be reading stuff that was definitely not Chinese, because, um, yeah, I was living in China every day, and I, I, was, I was homesick. But now that I'm back, it's just the grass is always greener. I wanted to read stuff uh, translated from Chinese, read Chinese news, da 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 da, da. Um, And now that I'm doing the podcast, it's kind of, it's flipped again because I have a load of books on my bookshelf on my Kindle that are translated from Chinese or they're nonfiction about China. And any one of those, it's kind of like, um, metaphorically speaking, money in the bank. Because if I read a translated Chinese book, that's something I can do an episode about later. Um, so, like, I read uh, a Hong Kong translated Chinese book, uh, Second Sister, not because I knew I was going to do an episode in it, but I know I have it in the bank. If I ever don't know what to do an episode on, I can just do that one. Mm. So there's always some sort of uh, reason for me to read one of those. But on the other hand, it's like sometimes I get really tired of them, but also I know as a reader, I shouldn't just be reading one thing obsessively because I'm going to end up pretty blinkered. So I, 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 I more or less end up being like 50-50. Um, I'll finish a book that's translated from Chinese and I'll force myself to read something else. But like right now I'm reading, um, what is it called? In Heaven, Everything's Fine. It's a collection of short stories inspired by um, the films of David Lynch. So very far removed from Jin Yong and stuff. But once I finish that, the little demon on my shoulder will be like, now you need to read something uh, translated so you can do it on the podcast. It, everything's become kind of like, a, I don't know. I, I, my philosophy is like, you should read stuff that you enjoy and that will make you read more. But it's so easy to sort of corrupt that into reading things for some sort of um, logical, rational, um, self-seeking reason. It's a it's a clever way to do it. I mean, that's what we do. So about let's see here. It's I think I started working in two thousand and eighteen on a tabletop role playing game for Osprey Press called Righteous Blood Ruthless Blades. It's based heavily on Gulong, and so we started a podcast to kind of promote it and also go into the influences. And we based each podcast on a movie. And like I was saying, like I've mentioned numerous times, I don't have a lot of time, and that goes for movies as well but because we started this podcast it kind of forced me to watch the movies so that I could prepare for the podcast and then I got to watch the movies and so I think that's 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 a very smart a smart way to do it is tie in your entertainment with the content you're producing and then it kind of yeah. all becomes a virtuous cycle or or it could be the opposite I guess it could be the opposite mm. that's the thing on one hand I love the idea of um what is it like love the work you do and you never work a day in your life. On the other mm. hand, I'm kind of opposed to the logic of everything has to serve a purpose. Everything has to be 
rationalized and businessified, but you know, whatever. Life is life. It's a very Taoist critique of reading, right there. <laughs> yeah, maybe I just shouldn't Why read. Why do have to have yeah, a should. purpose? Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe the most Taoist thing to do would just be to do, watch what the Netflix algorithm tells me and uh, <laughs> never. <laughs> Um, I see we've been going, well, we've been on the call for two and a half hours. I guess we've been recording for more like two. Um, so I'll bust out the last question in my list of questions. Um, so I asked you guys before, what would you really want to see translated into English? But how about um, on my well, on my podcast or on anyone's podcast, what books would you really like to see uh, covered and put out there into the podcast planet i'm interested in like ai generated novels i don't know if anyone like is interested in that um of course there aren't that many out there but i've been reading some and it's interesting and just like the whole i guess interdisciplinary like uh the mingle the marriage of of like machine learning and like ai and and writing as yeah as a creative like product and, and that that is like cool i don't think i got into it very much on the episode but on the book of shanghai episode with karen wang that as scarlet mentioned earlier <laughs> there was actually one short story in that book that has some ai generated um fiction but i don't know if we brought it up it was the Chen Fan story, uh, State of Trance, which mm. you can read in. I, I don't know where you'd find it in the original Chinese, but it's in Book of Shanghai in English. And it's about, it's a very strange story um, where like reality is, or human, human like minds collectively are all breaking down, or their ability to like, pr their senses are like blending into a big mush. And the main character, he's suffering from that. He's managed to hold on for as long as he could with Adderall or something. And his mission is he has to take a book that he's borrowed from Shang, the main Shanghai library back to the library. And on the way, he runs into a statue of some kind and the statue starts to speak. And the, the text in the story that it speaks is, um, I think it's explained in a note at the end of the story where it came from. So some guy that Chen Fan worked for or is friends with developed an algorithm, an AI learning algorithm, which could write Chen Fan style stories, <laughs> or was supposed to anyway. Um, it didn't seem, to, based on what was coming out of the statue's mouth in the story, it wasn't really very coherent. I'm guessing it came out in incoherent Chinese and the translator made it incoherent English. But that is the only translated Chinese AI prose I've read. But Chen Fan being a very like, the, the uh, what is it that the word that's used to describe his writing is sci-fi realism so it's basically sci-fi drawing on the fact that his life in modern china is already becoming science fictional he's using this existing technology ai fiction and putting it in his story but i remember i'd heard about that years before someone made a ai generated harry potter novel yeah is that, mm. so is that yeah. a whole novel I think so. Yeah, my girlfriend mentioned it recently. Um, the fan fiction. Are there? Have you read any whole novels of it? Or 
I, I am gonna put this onto our chat. It's a like a, a experiments kind of you can play with with Google. Mm. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Thanks for putting that in the chat because I'll be able to put this in the show notes. Yeah, looks amazing. Since the Google people. So this is people using Google. It's not, or is it Google doing this itself? I think it's probably their like natural language processing team. Right. That people can just play with. Cool. I don't know if it's commercialized into something yet, but they have like a few. There's like art and technology too, like AR experiments, things like that. Huh. I have two suggestions in response to your question, Ingus, and, and one would be more personal, the other not really personal. Starting with the second one, this isn't something that necessarily interests me very much, but it is wildly popular right now that you might want to look into, and that is the... So I know you had me and uh, Ed Willer on from the kind of weblet translation scene, but there's another side of it that is really, really popular, and that's the BL, Danme, Yaoi, um, like basically homosexual, um, that is like crazy, crazy popular right now, whether it's right. Untamed, Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation, and there's a new show that's really hot called Word of Honor. So again, not really my thing, but it's so popular right now, you might consider taking a look at it or getting some guests that are, are knowledgeable about that. I'm not one of them. Um, yeah. And the second one is, so in my grandfather's study uh, from the time I was young, I mean, I'm talking, I, I would assume he probably had this book for, before I was even born. Uh, he had this book that always fascinated me. And that is now, he's since passed away. And that book's now in my dad's book, on my dad's bookshelf. And I just happened to come across it um, actually around when we recorded our, our podcast because I was staying with them for a while. And this book is called 700 Chinese Proverbs. And again, it always fascinated me. And I w it was one of those little influences back when I was a kid that kind of laid the foundation for my interest in China and stuff. And it's, it's billed as a translation. I am very curious if it's actually a translation. I don't know mm. if, it's, if it's really a translation or if it's, if it's a fake translation or what. Um, and I've tried to do research into it to find out the author apparently it was published in 1947 and so it's been around for a while and i am really curious who is this guy that supposedly translated it maybe he did maybe he didn't is there an original text for it i don't know given all your contacts maybe you know somebody that that knows more about it than i do but whether it's an actual translation or not i think it might make an interesting topic to look into and i for decades now i've been curious about where this book actually came from I'm going to just type the name of that book into the chat so I have it on record. 700 Chinese Proverbs, is that yeah. right? Yeah. All right, I will set my research demons onto that and see what see what they find. Cool. Um, oh, there was something I was going to say. What was it? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've seen on, on, on Twitter people tweeting about The Untamed. Yeah, and I, I didn't get a sense of what it was, but based, based on who I saw tweeting about it, that if it's 
yeah, the themes you described, that sounds about what I expected. Well, the thing um, is, the original novel was definitely a, a BL novel, but the Untamed... So that's the Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation, which they also made an animated version of, but the BL Untamed... Boy which love? Is, the, is that right? What was that? What does BL stand for? Like boy love? Boys boy love. love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not every and, listener was going to put that together, I think. Right. So. <laughs> well, the Untamed is not though. They that was a mainland production, so they took that oh, aspect out, ah. and they're like bros. Um, <laughs> yes. And then, from what I've heard, I haven't watched Word of Honor. Word of Honor is actually so. The Untamed is Ciencia, definitely like, like the. You can tell if you're familiar with the two genres that it's not Wuxia, but the Word of Honor, I forget what it's called in Chinese, um, is really, really, really popular right now, and it is similar kind of thing. But it's Wuxia, and it's, from what I've heard, even more, it's also a mainland production, so they can't really go full bore. But from what I've heard, there's a lot of subtext that makes it really, really obvious that it's kind of more than a bromance. But again, it is a mainland production, so they're pretty limited in what they can actually portray on screen. I, I um, in my undergrad, when I was doing English Lit, uh, I was doing it mixed with film studies uh, for the first, well, for for the whole three years actually but I had a lot of film studies classes and one of my best lectures he was uh he was a gay man who one of his specializations uh was melodramas and from American melodramas mostly uh from the 50s and it's a funny genre because you know 50s America Hollywood studio productions they're not going to be putting out boy love movies um they're all very well, on surface level, very heterosexual man and woman love stories. But um, if you can see the subtext um, or if you think about who was watching them or the way they're presented, they are extremely gay um, because of the subtext. They're very camp. Or, yeah, and he, he, he absolutely loved them. So um, I, I, even if the, the, the boy love element is completely on surface level scratched out of the untamed i can see exactly what you mean you know you can't censor the things between the lines or you could but it would be an well, insane yeah. mission yeah the untamed i i have a i've been doing like reaction videos to it on my channel and it's just a really good show I, i'm not sure about a word of honor but yeah if there is a novelization and I'm pretty sure the novels of both of those are available translated so I'm sure you could find some people that are that are knowledgeable about it that could um, give you some interesting insight I am actually going to be doing on the future on the show a couple of um, LGBT or no, actually three likely three different LGBT uh, novels um, and two of them are because I'm doing going to be doing a Taiwan season so that opens some doors that aren't open in literature coming from mainland China I guess um, one of them one of them is going to be uh, Notes of a Crocodile by Chiu Miaojin and the other one is uh, The Membranes by Ta Wei, which is a sci-fi one as well so I'm really keen on that but um, there is one from the mainland I think I'm going to be doing probably it's uh, Beijing Comrades so um, so one's like a, I, I guess two two of them are more generally queer. Beijing Comrades, it's about gay men, um, but none of them are web fiction. So that's yeah something I could definitely investigate that I don't know anything about. 
Yeah, I, I guess web fiction in general is something, although I've done so much of it on the show, I feel like I still don't know very much. Because I've never read it in its original form on the web. I mean, it's such a new, it's, it's so new. And I mean, I don't claim to be an expert on it either, but uh, definitely hot. A lot of a lot of people on both sides of the sea that are that are reading it. So, yeah. and I, my only my only uh, caveat or suggestion or warning is that the fandom for the Untamed and Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation is is I don't know the right word. Just there's there's a lot of people who are brand new to the genre and they don't really know much about anything. <laughs> like they don't know about Chinese culture. They don't know about Chinese language. They don't even know much about the genre. But they're huge fans of those works. And that leads to a lot of that. It leads to clashes. It's easy to have clashes with people who have strong views but aren't particularly well informed. I guess you could say. But, yeah. I've, I've never met anyone like that ever, so I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> I don't think web web novels are new. Like they probably were pretty popular, like at least fifteen years ago. Yeah, I think it's getting were, more we popular because a lot of people are reading those novels. People read like almost like 15 years ago nowadays became like TV shows and those TV shows got popular and now like the writers or the screenwriters, they got a lot of, you know, money and stuff. It became like a really huge market now. And there are more people like writing those web novels. Yeah. Like, um, although I guess Jeremy, you're, uh, you're talking about genre fiction web or wuxia web novels, the stuff, and what you just said, Yang, the fact that it's this stuff, or at least on the Chinese internet, goes back pretty far. That mm-hmm. book I did, uh, Leave Me Alone, the Morong Shui Tsun one, that came out, I don't know, not so long ago in English, but that's from a Chinese internet chapter by chapter web novel that really is quite old now. Mm-hmm. And this thing, I think, well, just maybe, to clarify, I started oh, learning Chinese almost 15 years ago. Right. So when I say new, I, it's, I'm kind of meaning like <laughs> the last 10 <laughs> Right. Everything's relative. The thing um, I would like to know more about, but don't, um, it kind of, I'll, I'll preface this by saying like the way things on the internet or digital stuff is talked about, it's an interesting thing. Even when I was talking to, people in in Chinese friends inside China about like basic basic digital stuff that we were all familiar with like well apps and powerpoints so to me speaking in English I say well I downloaded this app but my Chinese colleague would say oh yeah you need to get the app even though app is three syllables app is one it was more natural for them to say app same with powerpoints um Probably PPT is easier to say, but Chinese colleagues would say PPT. We'd say PowerPoint. And I learned a new acronym um, when I was learning about web fiction in China because people would talk about BBS, uh, bulletin board system, whereas in English we'd say forum. And the two things are basically naming the same thing, but I've got the sense that BBSs in the Chinese internet are used quite differently perhaps from forums on the English language internet so um, I don't know if there's any f- specific question I can ask but like um, Scarlett and yeah. uh, Yang you guys were mentioning reading stuff when you were in middle school online like Murong and other stuff were you reading those web novels on BBS websites or 
I but I know people like post their first post their it, 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 it before they really publish the book they really like post their stories on the BBS because mm. maybe that's maybe that's before blog I don't know is that maybe a similar time was when blog got popular yeah and there was a forum and people just like okay I'm gonna just write a story I write like two paragraphs two chapters one chapter per day or something and there are people just follow that post and say okay like keep going or whatever and so they got more viewers and they just finished the whole novels yeah I think at that time they Kia was pretty popular people were following from there actually before Kia there was Rong Fu Xia oh yeah 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 that's even older like the early 2000 yeah I think the leave me alone was we hired books from the the bookstore at that time. It was so popular, right? Brand books, yeah. So that was a a physical book, not just yeah, a digital yeah, one. Yeah. Cool, right? Um, I I I I kind of my feeling was, and it's just based on intuition and the small glimpses I've seen that maybe like a forum or BBS style web page has had a longer lifespan in on the Chinese internet than it has on the English language internet. Um, recently on the show, fairly recently on the show, I did um, these HP uh, Lovecraft style stories, um, a flock of Ba Hui, Ba Hui Niao Chun or something. And that's from uh, this whole web forum, which is all about HP Lovecraft and related stuff. But the web design is sort of like a 2007 style forum, but it's very alive and active with all these Chinese users. Whereas like in the English language internet, if you stumble across a web forum that looks that old, you're usually, you found a dead website that no one's posting on anymore. So it's this thing I find interesting where these, like we were saying about Westlife, sometimes things continue their lifespans further different places. Just before I, we this moment passes, I know this is gonna this is gonna really show my age, but I just got to point out that I I was uh, using dial-up internet services way many years ago, and we actually did indeed call things BBSs. I used to dial oh, into BBSs, so right. that was before probably the internet as we know it. Probably not any connection to the China thing, but I think it's just it's just interesting how language kind of changes. So back that would have been in the. Um, Late late 80s, early 90s or so, I think. Um, obviously, a lot has changed since then. Well, it would it would make sense if the acronym survived in China, because then that the word forum won't have any meaning, whereas an acronym, at least it's three letters, and you you know the alphabet. Well, I'm glad you were on the call to answer <laughs> answer that one. I mean, again, I don't know the China connection, but I'm just saying, back in the back in my day. I remember another thing. I forget which book it or story it was, but um, some I no, I don't remember who, but some author was posting their story on a university's BBS. So the idea that um, <clears throat> one of the top universities in China would have its own forum, which was a gathering ground for like people posting their fiction, is such a cool thing. But I can't imagine like I don't know Manchester University in the UK having having anything like that seems very unique or at least something i had never heard of before yeah i see we've been going or at least the call's been going for nearly three hours so i should probably start winding things up i think i had one last question no that was that last one was my last question so 
Yeah, is there anything anyone's itching to say that they've not said yet? No. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I'll probably draw the party to a close. But thank you all for coming along. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I'm gonna stop recording. And that is the end of the party. So thanks to all my my party guests for um, for coming along. It's a fun chat, of course. So just the plugs now. The outro. So the first thing I want to plug is the Truchofic mailing list. So I am still scheming on getting a mailing list, uh, like a, a regular sort of blog or update sent out via mailing list. If I get 50 or more signups, I'll do that. We're sitting at 20 right now, so still a ways off. It may, I may still yet can the whole thing, but if you'd like to see regular sort of updates in your email inbox about the podcast or Chinese Lit or just my thoughts, that's the place to find them. I'll put a link to them in the show notes, and there's also a link to the sign-up page on this podcast's homepage, which is trichofic.podbean.com. Uh, speaking of trichofic, the magical acronym, if you go to patreon.com slash trichofic, T-R-C-H-F-I-C, that's where you can help support the show and get access to bonus episodes. There's oodles of them now. Um, there's dozens and dozens. I don't think we're at 50 yet i don't think we've matched the number of conventional episodes although perhaps we have we're certainly drawing very close uh, on there i give first impressions and impressions sort of halfway through books or upon finishing a book i've not covered on the main show i'll put i'll make a bonus episode or sometimes it is i am talking about books i've already covered on the main show but i'll give be giving further thoughts that i either missed or have just occurred to me or sometimes i'll take a clip from an episode uh, like an interview that cut and it'll go on the patreon so there's all sorts of fun things like that on there and you can support from at least sorry um minimum like minimum a uh, contribution is um one usd a month and that gets you access to everything i do have uh tiers but they're basically symbolic um one dollar gets you everything one dollar a month if you'd like a one-off payment that will get you access to all the bonus episodes you can do that too there's like a a podbeam premium feed just go to the support page for the show and links to all the different ways you can uh, support the show are right there both of those included um social media so ways you can get in touch with me uh, or just get updates on the show if you've got feedback on anything you've heard like if we missed something or if we got something wrong or you want to ask a question or just anything there's a few good places to do it uh Probably number one, I'm I, possibly um, would be Instagram, just because I hate Twitter and the Discord's quite quiet. Um, but yeah, the podcast has an Instagram at trichfic t r c h f i c. Um, I post like promo stuff and clips from the shows in the posts, and in the little stories thing at the top, I'll put more fun stuff. Uh, Twitter, if you'd like to, I, I don't know, um, get see me tweet occasionally about Chinese lit stuff and avoid getting into arguments with all the crazy people on Twitter. Um, that's where that is. So I just use my own Twitter for the show. It's at Angus Likes Words. Angus Likes Words. That's me. Um, the show has a Discord, which you would be very welcome to join. That'd be a good place to talk to other fans as well as myself. Uh, there's an invite link in the show notes, so just click that and you'll be able to jump into our little Discord server. We'd love to see um, conversation there. It's it's pretty quiet in the meantime, but we do occasionally have a bit of a chat there. So yeah, uh, that is all of the um, like 
What's the, what's the, that's all the plugs that have links that go directly to places. But I think it's the more abstract promo um, that is the best. The best thing you can do for the show, I think, is spread the word. So tell your teacher, tell your friend, and tell the friends you made online. Because as we've seen in this episode, they can be really awesome sometimes. So yeah, thank you all the listeners and all the former show guests. Thank you all for making the podcast a thing because it's not really a thing if it's just me talking into the internet. So yeah, I, I'm very grateful. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Side GM.